Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, a show where we try and talk about movies, but inevitably talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Sean Cole. To my right... Daniel Killen. And that's all it is. Just even get kickstarted. I just took a sip of vodka. Never get that with your first measurement. The night you kind of fuck it up with, but that is like fucking pinstripper. Doesn't really? actually help either. That is Tesco Imperial, which is fucking awful. But uh, I think I'm gonna get a wee bit more Tesco Lemon and Lime Zero in there. Yeah, you, you got you got a gap there. No, oh, no, the devil. Oh. The devil <laughs> <of life. laughs> really embracing the unemployment life. You know, Fuck he's gone from <clears throat> big unky G. The creme de la creme of the vodka. The Tesco value. And you know what the worst thing is? Even when I was employed, Glenn's was not the creme de la creme of fucking vodka. Nah, it wasn't. But well, there's like, what, 50p difference between like Imperial and Glenn's? I bet he's saving like 20 quid a week. Well, 50p right difference. Right 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 <laughs> fucking two a day, like. <laughs> One of my five a day. <laughs> but uh, no, oh, what he is, he's fucking so frustrating. I've literally like not lost money. I'd say in about five years when I was employed and shit like that there lost 20 pounds a day how oh, serious how frustrating I have no idea I went down to the shop last night they buy a bag Blocked. of crisps <laughs> what <Blocked. laughs> Blocked at nine in the morning looking for a bag of crisps and fucking some Philadelphia but uh, went down eat. what's this man's got to eat <laughs> man gets only dip the crisps into the Philadelphia you know me too oh, well Michael no but I went down last night and I reached ah. in my pocket and there was four pound there and a 20 pound note Reached in my pocket today again, 20 pounds gone. Then I have no idea because only left the house once yesterday. You know what's really bad as well, and it's obviously not your 20 pounds, so you can claim it out the street while walking to work. I found 20 pounds. Oh, so good! Like, I sort of saw it, and then you know, when you sort of like look about because it? it's like dead shift. Are you day. actually serious? I know, I'm actually serious. Yeah, <laughs> so those ones like the universe is all going for Dan Kill at the moment. It is actually, isn't it? yeah. <laughs> It's uh, de- it's obviously Shan's twenty point then. Oh, is that twenty point? Oh, it was like full sight, and exactly. he was like in the water side. Oh, oh, I because as soon as she dropped paper, it just lay stationary like. Hey, but what is the fucking chances <laughs> of a blowing across a foil and then reaching down? See if that was we could that could be started like a fantasy film or something. Well, what's what's the chances the of, of you losing a twenty point and him finding a twenty point in the same day? I don't know, astronomical. Oh, there you go, inconceivable. We don't know if it was the same day, but you know, he moves in mysterious ways. He said yesterday. Was this yesterday? No, mine's was not was yesterday actually. Now I think about it. There you go. See. Yeah. Oh, do you have any deodorant as well? Irrefutable. Uh no, that's why I smell. Oh uh, no, it's not. It's not. It's <laughs> smell. I'm just saying it's super fucking warm in here, and I can feel myself starting to swell up a bit. Oh, actually, we haven't lit the scented candle. Oh yes, that'll, oh, that'll, that'll yeah. solve all our problems. <laughs> that, that'll solve the fact that it's about fucking twenty degrees on here. I uh, did keep it bringing like, the scented candle. Maybe she was like giving us a hint that it's. Oh no, no, she oh, was no, giving us a hint. She, she just she, openly she, said it's stank on her. Yeah, oh, really? she blatantly oh, right. says like it smells in here. <laughs> Like we need a new candle, actually. This is nearly burnt out. Also, uh, usually our 
one of our brethren, Colm Hearn, who obviously has taken a bit of a hiatus because he was injured and he returned there a few weeks back. He is playing a gig tonight in Derry, but unlike usual in Derry, it's bring your own drink. That's going to be a mm. fucking free-for-all. I know. Derry people are not given bring your own drink gigs because they'll just take full <laughs> advantage. And the worst thing is as well, usually in bring your own drink gigs, they set a limit. There's no limit. So you can land me like fucking three ten decks. Oh, I can't. I'm going with Scrumpy. <laughs> yeah. Bring me Scrumpy, man. That's good. Just wreck me selfly. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm fucking. How bad is it that just because there is like a part of a gig that says it's bring your own drink, it makes it seem all the more alluring and exciting? But the thing is, well, though, you it's because like, to get in. I think it's like three point or something. Oh, Fuck that. That's sweet. Yeah, but it's like a fair trade like thing as well. So you're going to have like, you know, a lot of people there who are, you know, seriously environmental and are down there to show their support. And you know, probably won't even drink, and then you're just getting a corner of heron supporters that are going to be absolutely rambunctious, <laughs> like, like out of line. Like, Wait, what's the actual event? It's like the anniversary of the setting up of the fair trade sort of thing around Derry. These oh. people who work for like fair trade and stuff. Oh, yeah, fair, very good. It, 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 is, it, it is a great cause. The, the last uh, bring your own drink thing I went, they was in that very place. Well, Cafe, Soul, Cafe Soul seems to be where the place that actually does it. They, they, mind they had like a video game night done. Oh, that was class. This, this that was like Dave's birthday. It was, was like it? years ago. Yeah, it was ages ago. But I, I there they was had a boy prancing about it at the back. Is Link from Zelda? And all. Aye, it was class. It was. It was at the same time. Though, it was like walking in there, very surreal dream. Yeah, it was. Pretty, it was pretty weird. Because essentially, out the back of Cafe Souls, a glorified care park, <laughs> and then there was just these fucking cartoon characters bitten about the place. And bring your own drink. You were stoked just before you even got on there. And hella good music. Oh, it was all like was. 8 bit, 16 bit. They moved up throughout the night. <laughs> That's it, uh, it was just like last the fucking cassette boy all night. It was class. Yeah, it was class. Jesus. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm scared of shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> you need to be on that quicker. <laughs> <laughs> I had to unlock my phone. I'm okay, rustling. it's time for Danger Bottle. Every week we buy a drink of bottle. <laughs> Swap out about. Uh, for uh, for five pounds or under, and we all drink it because we're alcoholics. Uh, yes. By the way, Mickey just does not believe in second ticks. You know, we, <laughs> we could do it again, but he's all drink a no bottle. There's no possible way to fix it. Swap out about, do what you want. <laughs> Mickey's the Clint Eastwood of the podcast world. Just wants to get land on time. Right, so the Danger Ball this week I'm okay is... I'm with it. What? <laughs> yeah, it's not bad, actually. Uh, Danger Ball this week is Country Manor, soft and fruity. Keep good company with Country Manor, the deliciously light-hearted and sociable drink. Finest Perry. Now, Jesus it's Christ. pretty shit. Now, I, I was this is a massive box of wine. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a three-liter box of wine. Like, I'm not going to lie. See, I tried to How much it. was this? It was 350 Fuck <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> 350 for three liters. Jesus Christ. In all fairness, percentage-wise, it's pretty shit. It's only 7.5%. But because Lita was old to me, no, don't get that. It's only 7.5%. And I was like, but it's three liters. You yeah. know what I mean? So it doesn't really matter what this, the percentage is. This is Frosty Jack territory. Aye, this is <laughs> essentially Frosty Wine. That's what it Aye, is. Frosty Wine. Aye. Right. The only thing is, it seems like a bit of a fucking contraption to get open. Usually there's a wee tube in these things. Yeah, so if you want to chat amongst yourselves, wish I get this fucking thing rocking. A <laughs> substitute teacher. Chat amongst yourselves. Supply yeah. teacher. He yeah. gets all his chins blocked. And saying that teacher as well, you know, uh, heavily drinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, that's a stereotype. What the fuck? Shan, you're really struggling with that, man. It's a fucking nightmare. What am I doing here? It's not Charity, generally Charity could have researched this beforehand. I literally just bought it before I got here. No, it's no, no. What, what, you're, what you're doing is wrong. No, this is wrong. You, you, no. you never properly open the box. There's always some kind of contraption. I've been seeing this one. Aha, there we go. See base for opening instructions. Oh, no, just open instructions. Uh, <laughs> no, right. Open Shans, instructions. Shans, I feel like you need those instructions to make his Transformers when he was younger. 
with their yeah. <laughs> leg, yes, flat with preferred opening facing upwards. Right, okay, so it's this way. And then we get to do this thing here. Get the fuck. What did I pull my tube out? Oh, that. He's got my. penetration. Oh, yeah. He's supposed to this. It's the most action you've seen all week. Right, two seconds. It is quite exciting. <laughs> I'm just fingering this box. <laughs> like a it's a bad fucking CD. Uh, I, sh- I, sh- I should be recording this soon, though. Break and Carefully pull through large opening and slide into circular opening. What? Jesus, what instructions are you reading? Fuck me, man. I have no idea what. Ah, wait there, I've got it. I feel my tube. I got it. Are you trying to video me doing this? It's a fucking disaster. Oh, get out, you cunt. Dan, go and give me some additional lighting. No worries, buddy. It's quite dark. Oh, this is a fucking disaster here. Who designed this shit? 350 down the fucking drain. Hmm. Like, this is fucking a joke. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Fuck me. There's alcoholics in this world who are struggling here. I'm full sober. I know. Imagine oh. you're just like sitting by a bus shelter trying set? to get this shit going it's, oh, yeah, it's like a keg tap man no, I know it's like a keg tap but it's like fuck me it's a disaster to get on me here we go wait oh, how, how are we gonna drink this? I forgot they bring glasses <laughs> oh shit just put your mouth under it man I'll try yeah. to oh yes right oh no there's there's other things you have to do Jesus Christ oh there's a security seal <laughs> to dispense Perry stand cast upright and activate tap Right, well, activate tap. Activate tap. <laughs> <laughs> you just tell it to activate. Can you get all your motherfucking cameras off me right now? It's like a paparazzi in here. <laughs> I was about right. to say use this, but that's absolutely disgusting in the bottom of no, no, Yeah, no, that's no. that's left there from the last time you were on. the down. lemon? Yeah. Oh, the lemon jello. What's, what's, probably, what's probably best, actually, is if you go down and get some cups and we'll just stop recording them. Okay. Yeah. Cut. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for fetching them glasses there, Mickey. Dan, you've already poured yourself a glass. What's it like? Yeah. It's all right, look. Yeah, one off. It has three no, for three liters. I don't know how to use taps. Okay. <laughs> Wait, what do you what do you, do you just press it or what? Yeah, you sort of like you, you put it here and then you do just something like that. Oh, that's gonna up. be a nightmare for you later when I'm dying to go to the toilet. <laughs> I know. I don't even need to go, but listen to that sort of does make you. I have an really absolute well. walnut bladder. Air fell shan up there. Oh. Wouldn't the be first the first time. time. That me. Oh. <laughs> so you can get twenty four regular sized. Uh, wine glasses out of this box. In all fairness, for three fifty, even if it's the worst wine you've ever tasted, if you're just looking to get fucked up, or if you're going to like a festival or something, which is actually perfect because you can't bring glass into festivals, that is the fucking ticket there. The thing is, though, I mean, That's wine. Uh, but wine's like awful. Like you know, in terms of, like if you get really drunk on wine, it's just headaches and everything. Only know. thing gives me a proper hangover mm. is wine. I don't know what it is. It just I does not. Agree <laughs> that, that and more, drinking more, loads. More, more <laughs> so, more so, white wine than red wine, though. Red See, wine. Never really like red wine that much. Rosé is about too sweet for me. White wine's the only one I would drink. Like, now I've gotten on the red wine recently. Oh, yeah. fuck! It's very sweet. What's that Bernard Black quote as well? It's like somewhere between your third bottle of wine and your fortieth cigarette for the day. You think, God, why is life so fucking class? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this is. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely derated it up there, didn't I? I know. <laughs> the the other Bernard Black quote is. Nobody wants to admit that all wine tastes the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. I mean, I know there's people out there who are apparently, <laughs> but I know there's people out there who are apparently like super tasters, and you know you've got all what, these sommeliers. I like they've got <laughs> all these no, fucking super tasters. Super yeah. proper. <laughs> term. That's what it is. They're called super tasters, aren't they? No, they're called sommeliers. sommeliers. Ah, super tasters. Have you seen a film? Sideways. No, sommelier. The film. Yeah, it's, it's about like it's the hardest exam of all time. But they can like taste it and say like, oh, what like. Uh, not only like what farm, but what like vineyard it came from, what year, and then go like down to the minute details, like what the hardest bush? ever exam. Oh, mm. <laughs> Barbara. 
Su- super tester then. So right. Yeah, so so right, they can they can test all these things like you say. It's the hardest exam that you've ever done. Not that well. You actually never done the exam, but hardest exam that some people would ever do. But honestly, <laughs> is there that much of a difference? Well, obviously there is. If they can tell. Oh no, like, no, but I I do think it's uh, mostly bullshit. I think a lot of it is just kind of fucking <laughs> self like backslapping. You know what I mean? I I totally hundred percent agree that most wines probably do this different. But really, that different that, that, <laughs> that people can be all ah oh, fuck you know I'm getting these hunts of fucking avocado. Oh, fuck off! Like who cares? No one else can test it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I but it's all about like developing your taste. Sure, like all films are the same, aren't they? Basically, all films are the same. What's this? Aye, I'm all, saying that like, you know, shite. unless you have a trained eye or a trained tongue, you can't tell the difference. But obviously, I, I, I one. think it's a lot easier, even for your your common viewer, to be able to notice that a film is different from the other one, even as so far as using like a criteria genre than. How different a wine tastes? Of course, I'm sort of, I'm sort of making a point in the sense that you know some people just look at it and it's just flippant. It's whatever. Oh, sure, they're all the same. Oh, he really cares about following. But then if you're really into wine, it's no, like, that's what I'm saying. No, I hundred percent get like wine buffs and all that. And wine buffs is that a thing? No, that is a thing. Wine super, buffs, super tasters isn't wine buffs are a wine buff as a thing. Yeah. As, as like a, I hate the fucking term following buff. I don't know. It just never sat me well. But anyway. No, I 100% get that there's like a market there for wine and like obviously people can test different things and all that crack. Hot ju- tip from Sean Coyle. Invest in wine. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the unemployed man. <laughs> but I just think it's really hard to, to pick out. Maybe it's just because though, like dance is, I'm not an only wine. Yeah, because you're just a fucking... Unemployed wreck. Who can no, afford 350 for three liters? No, I was, I was trying to go for something more insulting. <laughs> <laughs> You're you just you just don't care about wine, so you don't try and invest your time in the e- even noticing anything about. He's a pleb. Aye, aye, exactly. I think it's it's actually kind of come down now that it's, it's almost like an investigation on the me as a person, a human being. Well, no, because mm. I because I said it's probably mostly bullshit as well because it's just if you tell somebody that it tastes this way, they'll probably think it tastes that way. Yeah. It's the whole emperor's new trousers or whatever you call it just like if we (laughs) if we tell someone that a film's good they're gonna believe it which is not the case whatsoever because nobody nobody takes us seriously especially me (laughs) the man who doesn't do second takes it's 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 normally i say a film's good then everybody tells me why i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) so Um, nicky what'd you watch this week (laughs) (laughs) this week i watched x-men days of future past i really like that the rogue cut. Oh, have you seen the rogue cut? No, is this like mine when they first released X Men? There was like an X Men version one point five or so or some shit like that. Um, possibly. I don't know what one point five was, but yeah. that no. The rogue cut is when they were actually shooting the film. They uh, rogue played by Anna Paquin had a bigger role in the film because if you remember back to the original film she's literally in like one shot at the very end yep. mm. she's just standing there with fucking Billy very very jarring as well considering she's such a big character uh, <laughs> I, I thought when I first seen it I thought oh, geez, you know what fair play to them because they were coming enough to try and join all the timelines and they've even got Rogue in and she's agreed to do it because she's a big enough actress with what like True Blood and stuff yeah, yeah. I saw fair play to her she's come on for that one scene but then like you're about to tell but, us but, well, but, well they got Kelsey Grammer as well mm. for did they? Hey, that's, that's Kelsey Grammer's base at the end Ah, fuck, that's right. Yes, we, but I think with Kelsey Grammer, that's more like a week because he's not as big a character. Aye, he was, he was, he was only in the third one. Yeah, then. exactly. Whereas Rogue was like kind of integral. The, the, the yeah, yeah her thing. sort of like emotional arc sort of like one of the main things, isn't it? That you know the she's like struggling. Thing. She's that sort of thing you ever see where it's like a uh, storm turns around and is all, oh, 
we don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong with us. It's like, I, that's all well and good for you to say. You can make clouds and, like, you know, change the weather. I every can't she, have every, a fucking check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything I touch fucking dies, literally. I love as well when you're watching the first, the first one and that uh, Wolverine is, like, trying to comfort Rogue and the fact that she knew she can't kiss her boyfriend not there, crack Because it's, like, a fucking 12A or... No, it's not a PG. It's, like, a 12A. They're really scared around the issue of what she actually wants to do. Yeah. Talking about <laughs> awesome emotional stuff. You'd be dying if I'm just fucking want to write him. <laughs> Happen. Oh, it's just that weird scene as well. Where, like Mystique comes into like uh, Wolverine's tent. It's, it's the third one actually. You know, when they're, like, uh, when they're sort of like working together. <laughs> Surely it's his thirds. <laughs> his thirds. Aye. But then she like she like she's done up like Jean Grey. But then she turns into Mystique. But then she turns into a Rogue. And you're like, oh, is this what you really want? And like, oh Jesus. Aye. Uh, oh, so quite... she turned on the Rogue. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, yeah, I remember yeah, that yeah. scene, but I don't remember her turning on the Rogue. Hunting the Wolverine's a dirty old man. Uh-huh. Mm, bringing young, bringing young rogues back to his quarters. It's fucking, like fucking Iceman dived down. He's like, I'm here. <laughs> 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 Go on, I'm like Sunday to meet your fans. Uh, well, yeah, the rogue cut is uh, rogue actually had a bigger part in the film, but uh, they cut it out for the for the theatrical release just to kind of tighten it, I uh, tighten it up. You know, it affected the pace or whatever. So then they did the rogue cut on DVD then, and it's actually on Sky Movies as well now. Um, so basically, they just put her scenes back in, and I was like, I don't remember how long the original film was, but this was like two hours twenty two minutes. I think the original is like two hours. Oh, really? So that's like an extra maybe twenty minutes. It doesn't feel like an extra twenty. Minutes. <laughs> it it basically just felt like an extra scene. Yeah. That mm-hmm. uh, because if you remember in the film, so slight spoilers for Days of Future Past, but it doesn't really matter. Kitty Pride, played by Ellen Page, she actually gets injured when Wolverine freaks out and he accidentally cuts her. Yep. And so she's standing there doing her powers on him, but she's bleeding. <laughs> I don't know, what's her actual power? I don't she fucking can, know. She can, just, she can time travel, can't she? And she can just, no, but she, she senses she consciousness. Through, yeah, she, that's right, she can go through walls and yeah. shit too, so she can shapeshift. No, that's, that's not shapeshifting. That's what yeah, Mystique does. No, like shapeshifting's yeah. like Nightcrawler. That's what it is. Like shapeshifting's like... No, that's teleporting. Oh, teleporting. Shapeshifting's like, like, like Mystique. Mystique. Oh, yeah, is she going to ghost through walls? How would you she say go, ghost? Uh, ghost through walls? Or just teleport? Like she, I suppose that is kind of teleporting in a way. It's like. not really teleporting. That's not really teleporting, man. You go through a wall. Well, you're not go, going she ghosts, from one She ghosts then. All right, then. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she gets injured. So then they're saying, oh, she's not going to last until like Wolverine like fixes everything. So then Billy Iceman, who's banging Kitty Pride at this stage... <laughs> Uh, he's all, oh, I'll go get my ex, Rogue. Because <laughs> she steals people's powers. So uh, she's held up in Cerebro. Like, the, uh, they're doing experiments on her so the Sentinels can steal people's powers. So they're trying to use her power. Very quick, though. I thought they'd the Sentinels very well in that film. They, they seem scary yeah. as fuck. Like, they're not even that intimidating in the comics. They're just kind of like dumb fucking robots. But they actually come across as creepy as fuck. Especially the, the, when they the, start... The future Sentinels. When they start to adapt and stuff, they powers yeah. and they're scary, like... The 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 old timey sentinels back in the seventies, they're shit. Nah, I don't <laughs> care about them. But uh yeah. So then they go get Rogue and it's a mission that Iceman and Magneto go on. But it's literally just like a kind of walk through because uh, she's held up on Cerebro, so uh Professor X tells them how to get in basically. And mm-hmm. it's just like you you know where it cuts in with though? Do you mind the scene in the film where Magneto Michael Fassbender is going in to get his helmet back? Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> shout, just shout. <laughs> he looked at me like, "What hell are you talking about?" Mm. I knew when he's walk- no, no, when he's purple helmet. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's that. the one of mistakes personal. I know <laughs> <laughs> no, when he's walking down the hall. Oh, not but- even that sort of purse. I meant in the Norway. Sorry, go ahead. But no, when he's walking down the hall playing with his balls. 
But um, I know. But do you, do you mind that in the actual film, it's it's a kind of a kind of quirky sequence that it feels kind of slightly apart from the rest of the film, but not in like a jarring way. It's just like, oh, that was a nice wee. But like Magneto's got his groove back, kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> but in this here, they <laughs> they they cut it in with Magneto, like uh, Ian McKellen. What? Uh, going to get rogue, so they're they're cutting back and forth, and it just it seems like they're trying to go for like a bigger meaningful thing of like yeah Magneto old and new kind of thing, but it really doesn't work, and you're just mm. kind of like the different that, timelines. That's, that's about shit. <laughs> really, well, just on the subject of Magneto, one thing I always like throughout all the X Men films because it's always been kind of handled quite well in any of the X Men comics I read as a Wayne child is that uh, it's the relationship between. Uh, Professor X and Magneto. Yeah. It's like because they turn on the enemies, but they're still sort of friends. weirdly best friends. Well, it's I know, I, I love that. Thing. I yeah. really like it. it. I think you get it more with uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen yeah. rather than McAvoy and Fastman. Because mm. one of the scenes, even but though, you haven't you haven't seen as much of them. Yeah. Even though Last Stand is obviously the, it's like sort of like a sore thumb because I mean like X Men one and two sweet. I really like First Class and I really like Days of Future Past. Uh, X-Men, obviously, 3 ain't the best, but there's one scene, and then at the start, when, it's not even really spoilers for X-Men 3, because it happens about 20 minutes in, when Jean Grey just essentially dusts fucking Professor X, just obliterates him, Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when she does it, Magneto freaks out, and he's all, Charles, you know what I mean? It's like, Charles! Charles! <laughs> Do you know fucking Ian McKellen from Bolton? That's, a, yeah, that's like a Ray Norvin type. Like, that's a pod this way, right? Compare the accents of Peter Kay and Sriel McKellen, Fucking, yeah. you know, it's completely different. Garlic bread. <laughs> Garlic bread. Mm. <laughs> it's so good. But um, I think they're going to build it up very well. It, it's it kind of seamless casting as well, because I think that Fassbender and McAvoy were not only a perfect fit for those two characters, but you can believe them being the older versions of those characters, which yeah. is always a kind of main thing to get But that's because they're very good actors. But just to say as well, I think a lot of... <laughs> We know they're very good casting, but just to say as well, uh, I think a lot of superhero films, especially when they go into like second and third films, they really fall down because the lack of villains. I think Superman really struggles with that sometimes. Like, you know, there's not really like, a deep well of villains they work with, like, where Batman like, sort of does well. But Magneto as a villain is absolutely fantastic. Like, exactly. you know, it's that sort of idea where he literally thinks he's in the right, and because of his background, you know, uh, see him. Or they want to exterminate us, and he's witnessed it firsthand, you know, through the Nazis and the Holocaust and everything that he sort of is standing up for his own people, you know, the mutants. Yeah. But then, obviously, Professor X takes a different notion to that. That's why at times, you know, he definitely has like an emotional arc. You can really think. he's not just doing bad stuff because he's bad. Yeah, doing he, yeah. he thinks he's right. So That's yeah, so it's a lot more he's, interesting. He's a genuinely just interesting character, and you want to see more of him on screen rather mm. than like if you compare this on in the Marvel films and like Marvel have openly said they don't really care about their villains that yeah. much. Like they want they're a superhero film. They want to show off the superhero, and then the villains are just yeah. There what does like Thanos want to do? He just uh, want to just, just destroy Earth, just a second. Like it's, it's planet shit. He's just bad for the sake of being bad. Yeah. I mean, like, the only you know kind of stand out one of those Loki, and I think that was just by accident. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're, they're well, trying to bag him up. But... I'm nearly sure that Loki then was kind of loaned over to Darkstar for a while. They kind of developed him a bit more. Not Darkstar, sorry, Dark Horse. I'm thinking of Spist. But uh, going back to Magneto, he is one of my favourite comic book characters because he works so well. He can flip between being a villain and actually being a well-rounded character who you want to be the main focus. Hence why he's just as popular. as Obviously, a lot of people kind of go to the villain, like you would say, like the Darth Vader syndrome, but... Darth Vader, I does have a backstory, but in in regards to Magneto, it's it's because of that Nazi thing. It's it's because of that 
richer backstory as opposed to other Marvel villains that are just kind of like an afterthought. And mm. you were saying that maybe Superman falls down a lot of the times because he's only really got Doomsday. Lex Luthor shit, like you know, Lex Luthor never comes off as of threatening. That's why I'm kind of a wee bit iffy about how Jesse Eisenberg is going to play him because even in the trailers he's come off as a wee bit naff. But but I think he's he's purposely playing him. Yeah, that. yeah, definitely. But yeah. I think that like Dan was saying, a superhero is only as strong as their rogues gallery. Well, it should have been yeah. Well. Obviously, a rogues gallery, you know, yeah, but mm. Batman the Joker. That's like, what I'm I mean, saying, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, and I, I love that. That's one of, I think, one of the very strong parts of the Dark Knight that they really, really rammed home. Not only because you know Heath Ledger's performance was kind of very iconic, and because you know it was kind of more elevated too, because it, unfortunately he kind of died younger, more people wanted to see it, and that's a very you know good you would say action film, a comic book film. It is overrated in my opinion, mm. but the one thing I do think they got across very, very well is that Batman and the Joker can't really exist without each other. Mm. That you know, one needs the other, and that's like that kind of famous scene now where the Joker—it's his last scene in the film, where he's swinging off the side of the building, and he's like, you know, we're kind of we're destined to do this forever, which is actually even kind of sad of them when you think outside the film. But it's 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 true. I mean, without people like the Joker or the villains of Gotham, or for any superhero in regard to their villain, the superhero wouldn't exist without those people. Well, there's always that narrative as well that you know, if you look at like the older Batman villains, they're all sort of like you know. Uh, well, what do you, what do you call the mob boss again? Uh, he's, he's actually, ah, yeah, but he's actually, he actually is in like the second. But you know, that's yeah. the sort of villains he was against at the start. And then he thought, right, Batman's a bit wacky and camp. Let's give him like more wacky and camp villains. But then they use that as a narrative, as in Batman's made the city crazy. Do you know that you know all this giant bats swoops down from the sky and rescues people? I mean, that just unhinges people. Then and you have these weird out there villains, especially the Joker. But then the Riddler and yeah, there's so many of them. I mean, Harley but, Quinn and everything. Aye, but even they go back into the first Tim Burton Batman. That's kind of what he did, like, oh, you created me, but you created me first because Joker killed his parents, but then Batman created Joker. Yeah. Because yeah. he dropped him in Nevada acid or whatever yeah. it was like. But then there's all that entire thing as well, like, you know, how did the Joker really come to be? Do you know, like, oh, there's wow, all that, conflicting that, stories? Why, I, mean, and... I think that's why as well, it just as the Joker's mistaken, where he's probably seen as the best comic book villain, not only because he, he's, he's so iconic, and he is just kind of, on a basic level, cool and intimidating, whilst also being kind of funny and, and, and engaged in that way. But you're right, I mean, there's no really kind of set in stone origin of the Joker. A while of people go to the, the sort of being dipped in acid sort of thing, but now people see it as Eba did it. So there's been, you know, stacks of different sort of interpretations. Well, of the, well, with what they did in The Dark Knight as well, they actually had the Joker telling different stories about yeah, how he came away. Like, exactly. just because it doesn't matter where he came from. Right. I mean, even when he's in the prison, like, oh, they can't track him down. Like, there's no labels on his, like, well, no, his clothes are custom-made, and you think, is Joker just sewing a fucking suit for himself? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got high fleek. <laughs> he's got some serious mm. style on him. But it kind of goes back to that thing that Heron's talked about a few times, too, about... How much more interesting would it be if you just didn't have the origin of you know like a superhero character or mm. just any character in a film? Because it immediately adds mystique, and a lot of times it might be a cheap trick, but it always seems to be really effective. If no, I'm mystique's the next man all time. Uh -oh. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> that we <be> <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed that too much. <laughs> but it's that it is that sort of thing with if you don't know the story, then that person automatically becomes more interesting. It's almost just like in real life too. You know, when you actually meet somebody new and, you know, everybody kind of, if they're new to your friend circle, something like that, more people are likely to kind of pander to them and be nicer to them because they're more interesting or talk I, to them more, you know And then I mean? you get to know them and you're like, and oh, you're like, oh, exactly. <laughs> as soon as you find out their origin story, you're like, oh, he's a dick. You I know. know? And Fucking Dominic. Like. <laughs> yeah. He this man. He hasn't been on the podcast. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 the novel is worn off. How many does it tones? Because that's all he has. I'm sorry, Dom. No, he doesn't even listen, fuck. <laughs> 
He does on the farm sometimes when he's shoveling oh, shit. He? he does, love, eh? Love you, Don. Gotta go for a pint Friday. <laughs> um, I was totally going to say something else. Doesn't matter. Spider-Man has good rogues gallery, doesn't he? He does have a pretty good mm. rogues gallery too. Some of them have did it quite poorly as well, though. Aye, but I think what he has, you can always kind of modernise them because most of them is like, oh, an accident happened or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, do you know, like, the the origin story of like two face, cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The origin story of like two face in uh the Dark Knight is really good. Like you know, I think it works. You know, with the the, the burn and he sort of he's a he's created out of like Batman making the wrong decision yeah. or whatever, and he's got that bitterness. Jesus, the origin story of two face and fucking Joel Schumacher one. It is Joel Schumacher, isn't it? Aye. I like somebody threw asses on him. And they, they, course, yeah, yeah, but you see the scene where Tommy Lee Jones has like just half a sheet of paper up to like, his face. He's all ah! like, you know, so he got it exactly half oh, along I'm his perfect. face. Apparently, and plus paper oh. will always stop acid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I walk about my big. That's how I walk about my big paper mache Frank Hamilton all the time, <laughs> just to ward off those acid attacks. That's, that's why Frank did it. <laughs> you think so? He cracked the code of that full of man. <laughs> uh, Sham, what have you watched this week? I rewatched Point Blank. It's a 1967 film. It's directed by John Berman, who also done Deliverance and Hope and Glory and The Emerald Forest. So if you haven't seen any of those, are all really good films as well. You can maybe check out. But uh, essentially, what it is, it's it's a very kind of standard tale. It is about like a sort of you would say like a, not really a hitman, but a, a sort of hired thug uh, played by Lee Marvin. Uh, the character's name's Walker. And they do this heist, and they're counting the money in Alcatraz. This kind of sleazy friend uh, who's called Reese has kind of talked them into doing this heist. And when they're counting the money, Reese turns on them, turns on him, shoots him, and leaves him for dead on fucking Alcatraz Island. But somehow, which is never revealed again, not revealing the origin, they make him more mysterious. He gets off Alcatraz Island, which is essentially said to be impossible because mm. so many inmates tried to escape, and they were usually just washed away. So Sean Connery did it. Sean Connery did that's <laughs> right, die. Fuck, what's his line again? used to say it from the rock what's his line what the line where the f- oh no actually no it's in that Ed Harris where the people are dropping from the rafters I can't mind I think it's actually I think it's actually dropping from the rafters but essentially and what the story is it's a kind of standard revenge tale of Walker basically trying to get his 90 uh, uh, very precise amount of money 93,000 dollars he's, he's, mm. he's wanting back but uh, it's him just going about LA and fucking shooting people down and trying to get it back now from what I'm can, telling, can I guess what happens? What happens? Uh, in the meantime, Reese, his partner, I guess, mm-hmm. has started a peanut butter company. That <laughs> <laughs> is very, very rich. <laughs> so he just gives them the money. And be all right, see this. <laughs> Take a piece of that. Is that is that what happens? He <laughs> takes some of Reese's pieces. <laughs> 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 just dash no tenors. But uh, no, essentially, what happens is. Oh, is that not what? Happens? <laughs> no, that's only enough. That's not what happens. Uh, so I point blank. Obviously, the way I've described it just seems like a sort of topical revenge. revenge I can't fucking speak today. But what's sort of strange about it is that it's massively influential. And the reason it's massively influential is because, from what I've told you, it should just be like a kind of standard genre piece. It should be a, a sort of standard crime film or it should be a standard sort of uh, film noir. Now, what Berman does, and it was strange as well because he almost got full creative control in his first film in uh, America because before that he'd only made like a small I can't even remember I think it's called like Catch Me If You Can I think but it's not the fucking Spielberg one mm. it yeah. was some like I think like 1965 caper or some shit like that so he got full creative control because Lee Marvin really like he hand chose him for the role of director and he really wanted him to make it 
And what's interesting is because he had that sort of carte blanche to do what he wanted, which no first-time director in Hollywood ever gets to do, he really just fucking took full advantage of it. So even though that should have been a standard genre piece and a standard film noir, he uses the sort of themes of film noir but completely flips it in its head because he was influenced by the French New Wave, which was still happening at the time. You know, it was 1967. French New Wave had only restarted eight years before. He was influenced by Leone's sort of revisionist westerns and revisionist westerns in general. So it's a film noir thematically, but it's done with like a European avant-garde style. It's very, very interesting because... Instead of having your sort of chiaroscuro lighting and the contrast between, you know, light and shadow or light and dark, it's all set in broad daylight. And instead of having the claustrophobic sort of tight framing and almost like making the city a character that's kind of breathing down your neck. Breathing down your own neck, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, just a wee Dolomite reference there. Instead he, instead, he shoots it in fucking like wide Panavision. Mm. So it's like these huge sort of vistas and stuff like that. And it it just adds this, this character to it that you would, you would never like kind of usually associate with the crime thrower. You know, he saved it from becoming a sort of conveyor belt spy or crime film that came out at the time. That's actually what Ebert said in his review. Mm. It was all because that was around when uh, James Bond first came out as well. Yeah. So it was all we've had spy capers, we've had caper capers, we've had spy spying films and all this shit. But finally this just gets back to basics but it does it in a kind of new stylistic way. Now, what's also really interesting is that uh, I talked about the Limey a couple weeks ago and the Edland techniques and the Limey. Damn. And Steven Soderbergh, if you ever see another view William, uh, when he's talking about his influences, nine, nine times out of ten he's going to mention Point Blank. And it was only from re-watching Point Blank, I never actually made the connection before, but the Edlin techniques that I talked about in the Lamy a few weeks back, where you see something happening, but then during it you see these flashbacks to what you've already seen, just to kind of keep it in your mind of the cohesion of the actual narrative. Soderbergh's lifted that completely from Point Blank. And Point Blank does it as well. Like You, you might have this kind of random burst of violence uh, in there where, say, Walker's interrogating someone or Walker's you know, trying to find out where his money is. But then over this violence, instead of just seeing the actual scene, you'll see this throwback then to someone that you've already seen before. And it's kind of keeping it in your head of why he's doing it. And it just jars you too. And the reason that this is used, and it's sort of a, a combination with this avant-garde style that Berman was using, is it has this very like, sort of dreamlike quality. It doesn't feel like it's real. It doesn't feel like it's actually happening. And there's this massive theory about Point Blank uh, that it's, it's, it's actually all a dream. Because the first time you see Walker after he's been shot in Alcatraz, he's standing on a boat looking at Alcatraz and you can hear this loudspeaker, like this tourist operator, or tour operator, sorry, who's like kind of giving some details about the island and how people can never escape from it and stuff like that. Yet you're seeing him and you've just witnessed him escape, but you don't actually know how he done it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people's theory is that Walker never actually made it off the island. It's like a taxi driver one. Yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's that's has the whole film that you've seen has dying dream watch. He's lying in that prison cell and Alcatraz bleeding to death. You know what I mean? But it's just, it's a, a very, very interesting film and massively influential. Also, what's strange is that it was actually like a precursor to the uh, New Hollywood, obviously the movie Brats, like, you know, George Lucas and Scorsese and stuff like that, because the two films that are usually pinpointed as, like, sort of being the floodgates opening for New Hollywood are Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, and both of them are 67 and 68, but Point Blank's one that people now look at, too, as being maybe even one of the three, and they still try and chuck that in there, because that was, like I've said already, a genre piece, which should have been just very formulaic and very forgettable, but it was done in a very stylistic way and it was kind of bringing in these new ideas from Europe and then obviously when you had this the 70s and early 80s 
of the kind of spit of new Hollywood. That's when you know the studio system died out and Hollywood was kind of turning its head a bit because it started to get more creative and give these sort of young directors a chance. So definitely watch it. Definitely. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, <clears throat> you're talking about like the the theory of like it's all a dream kind of thing. Where you stand on that, do you think it is all a dream or? Does it not? Does it not really fucking matter? <laughs> I don't think. I exactly. I don't think it really matters because. Well, what do you think the director had in his head? See, uh, John Berman's been asked so many times, and he's kind of uh, like most creators do. He's kind of give like a buddy a fucking fence sitting answer just to kind of keep the mistake going. So I don't know. I think personally, it probably is a dream. I, I, I don't really care if it is a dream or not because how creative the film is and how influential that that's the main point of the film you know what i mean that's that's the the, the main source of enjoyment that i get out of it but whether or not it's a dream i don't really mind i do think though that it is especially i think just that the kind of basic thing you point at is that there's a floating banana in every shot <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's even like but what about the banana we have to get back to the <laughs> but i think it's the fact of of walker getting off alcatraz alone with like fucking three bullets on his stomach and you never find out how and I think it's the fact that everything, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't quite say it goes perfectly for him, but there's something that happens at the end, which I won't spoil, but it, it kind of, it leads me to believe that it might be a dream as well, but I, I actually won't maybe use the watch it or whoever's listening yeah. to watch it because it's a very important film. But in, well, in, in saying that, I think it's dreamlike in a way too because so many people and so many critics have commented on the fact that Walker doesn't even seem human. He, like A while a lot of people have commented on the fact he seems like a force of nature. More so down to kind of Lee Marvin's Lee Marvin's kind of just general stature. And he was a big kind of bulky man, but it's just even how overpowering he is, the man when he gets in confrontations and the fact that it doesn't seem like he'll stop at anything. It seems like he's indestructible. And I think that I, you've seen that in any action film that you've ever witnessed, especially 80s ones and stuff like that, like this macho man who is indestructible. But I think that Berman was doing it in the way they actually comment on the fact that, well, this man's not actually real because this isn't a real world that you're actually seeing at the moment this is a dying man's dream of what he would do or could do if he had the chance to hmm. you know it's, I mean? it's one of those things that we always talk about like you know uh if you ever see people arguing about it you know like realness and film like was that real was it a dream then it's all fake do you mean you know you know what i mean if you're talking about a film yeah you know what i mean but you know if what happened happened in a dream or real well it's still a narrative that is as real as what it was in the first place and saying that thing when the film plays off it it's really really good I mm. don't think Taxi Driver at all is a dream. I don't know why people get that yeah, idea. I, 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 I don't get that idea well, at all. What do you think of Taxi Driver? No, I, I, I think that's how Mike she was doing it. I, I, I've never actually got that that dream thing with Taxi Driver. I do but get you know, a point blank. Quite, no, but no I, question though. Had you seen Taxi Driver before you heard of I'd the series? Taxi Driver before I heard yeah, about the dream thing. Same. You see, did you know about the dream thing before seeing Point Blank? No. Oh, okay. No, the, thing, the thing is about tax drivers. I was going. I was going to make a point, but you just shadow. <laughs> I, I think the sort of end of tax driver. You have that sort of like you know romantic whistling. I think it's like Scorsese being a bit ironic, where it's like, oh, this is like, if this is a romantic film, that's the way it should end, you yeah. know. But obviously, there's so much violence and awful things that came before. I mean, one of my favorite films that uses that entire you know dream real argument is Total Recall. Mm. For Hoven. I, I think it, it takes a hand out of the fact that it's like Arnie. And like this action film, but you know, all the way along, I mean, I do think it is a dream. It's, it's based off a book by Philip K. Dick, you know, one of my favorite authors. Mm -hmm. And it's just this entire idea where 
are you ever really sure? And it just plays up to the fact. And plus, well, it's just it still has those blockbuster elements that just make it a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, you're exactly yeah. right. But I, and I think as well, Verhoeven, not just with Total Recall, but Verhoeven in general, gets a massive... Well, he did get a bad rap. I think as soon as Showgirls happened, people just kind of fucking tired him and was all, you know what, he's a fucking hack and look at the shape of this film. But mm. if you look at Robocop or if you look at Total Recall or if you even look at Stormship Troopers, he is the master of using like really Starship Troopers Starship Starship Troopers he's the master of taking you would say almost like sort of pulpy pop culture stuff that is kind of considered low art or low culture and he presents it in that way but he's doing it in a smart way because he's actually usually scurring someone politically or he's usually trying to say something yeah, about like an you, industry if or you look at Starship Troopers I mean if you just come on day thinking that you're going to see like an action film and you're not really looking for anything else and that's all you're going to see but yeah. if you actually look at it he's really taking the hand or this entire idea of a yeah. generation geared towards war, a yeah. country that has nothing else on its mind, and you know, I just, like, we rapid, kill, 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 I, and that's rapid it, expansion yeah. and basically colonies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But it, it is definitely a comment on not just the American government but governments in general. Mm. But what's what he always done very, very well is has films like Starship Troopers, gotta write that thing, mm. and Robocop and Total Recall, they play out to the sort of casual viewers' expectancy of being like a straight sci fi a straight sort of crime floor with like a fucking robot cop or a straight sort of you know intergalactic battle yeah. but then at the same time there's a lot more layers on there that you know yeah people it's all the subtext the him, subtext yeah. exactly but I've always thought I've always found that very very impressive in the way he's done that and then the showgirls which we'll just not talk about there's probably everybody, deserve, everybody deserves a blop <laughs> everybody deserves a blop you know? have you ever watched showgirls aye I've never watched well, I'm, I'm more I'm more watched it as a wane because there was naked women. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I haven't went back. Oh, 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 oh. But I haven't went back there since. With an analytical eye? Of course, I. I was I was looking out for the cinematography when I was six. Seven. No, not six. Actually, that's way too young. I, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You started early? That's not for stirring your TV, as they say. But uh, no, probably... <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, no, to go back to It's All a Dream kind of thing, did anybody see... Uh, I, I don't know what you would call it, a, a, a gif or some kind of meme type thing. Giffy. I don't know. Is that them crazy kids But But uh, no, when Leo won his Oscar, he went home and seen the spinning thing from Inception. And our belt, I don't know if I've seen over the past couple of days, is you know that like, kind of famous scene from Titanic where uh, DiCaprio and Kate wants it, they're kind of spun around and it's got that spinning camera. Uh, it's DiCaprio's big happy fist and then just a big, a big massive Oscar fist. Uh, the <laughs> so it's like he's just spun them out with his Oscar. Did you ever see a thing where like he's going to pick up the Oscar and they're like engraving it? And it's like the video afterwards. And he's like sort of leaning and goes, oh, do you do this every year? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I wouldn't know. <laughs> 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 Pretty funny. Like. Uh, so Daniel, what have you watched this week? Uh, sorry, excuse, I'm just going to relieve myself right here. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Spring Breakers. Oh, yes. Revisited because it's one of those films that I have a couple of friends, Kiva being one of them, actually. They uh, went to see it in the cinema and they did not like it one bit. They thought, oh, that film oh, was really? a piece of shit. It was one of, yeah. it, they literally said it was the worst film I, I was thinking about walking out on. Uh, I saw it in the cinema and I know maybe because I saw Cream before and I sort of know what he's about. And to be honest, it was advertised and the trailers made it look like it's something that wasn't at all definitely just made you look like you're kind of standard spring break where it's girls in bikinis and especially when you associate selena gomez and was it uh, vanessa hudgens you're yeah. obviously associated with being disney girls you think all oh, this is them trying to be exotic and break out but then it's like you're going to tell us so many of our layers like. yeah it's a sort of thing where i mean there's this just absolute overload and i think he deliberately uses dubstep because it is so obnoxious yeah. and it's just in so your grazing. face 
And yeah, you get the stage then where, I mean, you see a, sh- a drive-by shooting or, you know, you go deeper and deeper into like, eventually, like, you know, uh, the character of Alien, James Franco, you know, he, be- he befriends these girls and it's this sort of, there's this, this constant like battle between the spring actual... Spring break. Yeah, yeah spring <laughs> break. I just, just rhyme in the background I'm spring break forever. Like, you know, it's like, but it's this constant battle between like, you know, all taking drugs, having sex, uh, just out, out there hedonism and also the overriding feeling that Jesus this is awful life is shit and there's yeah. something awful coming for us around the corner I mean it got this stage where Shame also I think did it very well the uh, Steve McQueen film where you're looking at these scenes of sex all the time and you know constantly we see it all the time it's used for titillation or obviously pornography but you're looking at it like since he was six yeah. since he was six I see a fast brother's like fucking obscene like right yeah, it's, it's not always <laughs> fast brother's dick for one podcast mass bender <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, use both of the films use like sex in a sort of way that after a while it just becomes like just sickening. Like you're looking at these scenes and it's just it's beyond the pale. I find it anyway. Especially shame does it very well. But I, yeah, definitely. I mean, in in regards to shame, I, I don't think any of the sex scenes in shame are tilted. And I think they're all mm. very depressing and very empty. There's that one especially where he's having sex with a girl up against like uh, the window and like some sort of penthouse suite. I think they've rented it out. Yeah, and. There just seems to be no joy in it. I don't know. They're just well, doing that it. It's thing, almost yeah. like that animalistic instinct. Just yeah. they have to do it. They get it out of the way because it is an addiction for him. Well, earlier in that film, he was there with you know a woman he met through his work, and they went on a date, and you know he got to know her, and then he couldn't perform because mm-hmm. to him, the, the entire idea of having an emotional connection with someone where he obviously like. I know if he views them as just objects yep. that people he has sex with, or maybe he just has a complete disconnect between I'm, his I, emotional I, I, reality. I don't even think and that he found them as objects. I think it's just it's definitely his own demons that he can't get close enough to anybody because they kind of hinted that that coming Carrie Mulligan's upbringing mm. wasn't the best, and he finds it difficult to basically emote with someone on like that sort of level. That when he gets that close to him, he can't be that intimate because in a way, I, I don't think he actually feels like he deserves that sort of love or something. You know? Well, I mean? yeah, of course, because I mean during the film as well, though, there's that sort of like. Carrie Mulligan herself goes the opposite way where she's very I know she's very emotionally open with people like obviously her singing is part of that as well you know she puts herself out there but as well like whenever he breaks into the bathroom and she's having a shower and you know these this is a brother and sister and she like they have this argument like, oh why did you come into my house ever and then she's standing there naked but like she doesn't even attempt to cover Aye. herself up and it's this sort of thing there is a sort of underlying I know, sort of sexual tension between them, say. which is so inappropriate. But then she says at one stage, "Oh, it's not about you know, it's not about where we come from. We can develop beyond this." And then he completely shuts her down. He's like, "No, I don't want to deal with you or talk yeah. about this at all." And yeah, I mean, that's a very powerful film. I actually thought that that's the way Shame was going the first time I watched it. I thought it was going to go down the road of that sort of incestuous, incestuous relationship. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen, but I think they just put that on as almost like a sort of cd underlying layer there you know just they kind of i think basically they, they kind of not even a, an underlying layer but just they sort of highlight just how far or how much addiction fast there has the sex you know what i mean that they're going to add this in here even though it's almost like a red heron even though it probably was never actually any sort of plot focus that they were ever going to get together no i think it's sort of like that she's she's so needy and like you know she's like bearing herself to him emotionally and in that scene physically it sort of becomes like she is really crying out for help but like i think completely. it's the fact i think it's the fact that he doesn't even attempt to cover her up either and he does can he see kind of looks her up and down too there's a strange wee thing in there in that scene yeah is that a sort of a pivotal scene like yeah oh no but i mean there's so many scenes in that as well where she's like you know oh don't you want me around don't you like me and he's like no you're a burden to me and this is the thing where like you know he's saying it because 
that's the walls he set up in his own mind about things. You know, he just shuts them out. Sure, when she starts going with his boss in his room, he puts in his earphones and he goes on a jog. It's like, you know, he just yeah. shuts it out and just does his own thing. And That's yeah. another thing they do. I mean, like, in all fairness, that is, if in, in a way that Spring Breakers doesn't I mean Shane, sh- Shane, Shame as a bloody masterpiece as well. Mm. And I think it's more the fact that they get that across very well in Shame too. The fact that him jogging is his way of cutting out the world and there's that cracking shot or that sort of tracking shot, cracking, tracking shot in Shame <laughs> where it is just fast been the run down these New York streets. And that's all it is, but it's just a camera following it. And because you're following him the whole way, as soon as then he stops, they take a break because he's fucking knackered. The camera then pulls up toward him and he's just breathing really heavily, but he's just got this vacant stare in his face. And it's like, this is how he tries to get away from everything. Just running past people. This is where he gets into his own head and his own wee world and kind of shut everything out. And it's, it's, it's a great exploration of not only addiction, but like sort of loneliness. Or sort of, I would think, the inability to connect on some level with people. Well, thing, I mean, the film's called Shame, but until the very, like, you know, sort of ending scene, you don't actually see any shame. But the thing is, I think all the way you do, actually, you know, like, this is this is this man's way of, instead of dealing with these emotions he has, obviously, I mean, I assume, this is my understanding from him, he was abused when he was younger, mm-hmm. and he has a deep sense of shame about that. But instead of actually trying to deal with those problems, I mean, obviously, he's very successful, and he, he just motors along, machines along, and then just uses sex as a sort of, like, a perverse outlet. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I I love it. I think it's a great film. Back to Spring Breakers because you haven't actually got the chat about it. We've been going on the other films. Yeah, well, we we're talking about films as well. It had like a dreamlike state, and like Spring Breakers definitely does. Like Del- I mean, even at the start, I think they all left on the bus with Selena Gomez or Vanessa Hudgens. I wish they did. Definitely <laughs> happened. Because then as well, I mean, like, it's just so out there. I think it just gets beyond the stage of ridiculousness that I think Corrine's sort of saying, "Oh, you believed all that, but you won't believe this." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think he constantly does that all the time. Where I don't know. They kind of like builds it up. They sound like, you know, oh, well, that's too much. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what Hoodie. Corrine, I think, is just very challenging all the way. Every single film I've watched of him, I mean, he just shows stuff that's like. At the very start of Spring Breakers, you have all these scenes that, you know, everyone wants to see. Do you know, like all the titillation, the sex, the drugs, like, you know, Spring Breaker? But then. That's my only problem with that film, that there's way too much of that. Like there's, you can get so much of it to make a point, but then there's way more than that. But I think that's uh, maybe yeah, that's, that's what he's point. doing. But that yeah, is because I mean, obviously, yeah. we we talked about Spring Breakers a long time ago in the podcast. Like I watched it one week, yeah, ages ago, and we you said it was a mini masterpiece. I said it was a mini masterpiece, agree, yeah. <laughs> but I did say that I think the reason that Crean lingers on those images, like those really garish, overly sexualized images, yeah. you, know, you know, like kind of scantily clad women and men who are all buff or like have. Like big the, fucking boobs or the, whatever. The one that and always that, stays in my mind is like they're sitting in a hallway or something, then they just start putting their legs over their head or something, yeah. and they're like in bikinis, and you're just like, what? Yeah, but that's, <laughs> I, mean, like, I think it's more he's trying to make a point that you know this is what you see on MTV all the time, and nobody bats an eyelid. Mm. But then when I put it on the what you would think is a film that you were expecting to be something completely different, it it becomes a problem. Like when you start to focus on it for too long and don't cut away, it almost then becomes like voyeuristic and it doesn't become entertainment yeah. anymore, especially with that. Like you were saying, over the top dubstep fucking soundtrack. Of the oh, the colors are like beyond saturated as well. Aye. It gives you a headache to watch it. And yeah. I think that, that's the point. That's it's the like point, you know, aye. I mean, everyone talks about sex and titillation. Obviously, as you say, MTV and this sort of thing where. Oh, well, sure, fucking James Franco's obsessed with Britney Spears and as well. Mm. Aye, which is sort of it's actually really I love that about it because it's like they do this slowed version of uh, it's sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. This thing, and it's like. They actually draw some emotion out of it, but then the day, these people connecting on pop music that is just made to make money. It's not. There's no emotional connection. There's no level there where it's like they're dealing in any sort of. 
Do you know? Do you know yeah. where I'm coming from? Like, you know, they're dealing with anything. It's actually you know a proper feeling or emotion. It's just I, they just know each other I've, through this schlock. I've always got as well, or I've always thought that that scene when they are when they've got like the kind of helmets on, and I think that is Corrine almost trying to be farcical because that scene is so mm. over the top. Like they're literally dancing about with what is it like fucking AK forty sevens or something? AK forty sevens, pink ball clavers, and he's playing a piano, a piano on, like, version, the a, a piano uh, version of sometimes by Britney Spears. He's obviously saying he's hand, this like. is ridiculous, like. But mm. it's, I mean, obviously it shows the, the talent of the director that it's so ridiculous and over the top, yet at the same time, he's commenting on so many things that Dan has touched on already about how this is kind of what this generation's fucking bread and butter is, you know what I mean? Yeah. These sort of garish, overly sexualized images and this music that's just made totally manufactured in McMullion has no meaning or depth whatsoever. It is going to produce these people. But even though he's focusing on it and lingering and doing it in an over the top way, I think it's it's almost like a satire of this sort of people, like you know what I mean. But that's that's why it's it's so smart. See, talking about Spring Breakers, and like when we talked about the first time, and Shan said as a mini masterpiece, like I agreed and had said like I really enjoyed it. I was there. But talking about it now, I think I am one of the stupid people that just liked it because it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, think so. No, not, nah. not, 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 no, I'm joking. No, but like I'm one of those people that, oh, thought it was really cool that they had a Britney Spears song in it because I like Britney Spears. But see, in, the, in a strange way though, even, and that's the thing because I mean, you can talk about like, you know, doing, I like, think we're talking about how Steve McQueen's got themes and we're talking now about Harmony Corrin and how he's got themes in this film and, you know, what certain artists dwell on and stuff like that. But then, at the end of the day, too, even though you're kind of skewering capitalism or skewering a sort of generation in Spring Breakers, film is a commodity. And that film, when they got made, unless it was insured, it was at least going to break even. So, you know, if somebody goes under the audience and that flies over their head and they just enjoy it on a kind of basic sort of aesthetic level, because it is women dancing about it or because there is, you know, kind of shootouts. Well, I, I specifically said it wasn't because the women dancing about it. Yeah, but I'm just <laughs> no, saying that if somebody does, I'm not saying you, but if somebody does enjoy it in that level too, then in a strange way, it kind of works both ways. And very few films can actually get to do this. I will this. say as well, I think sometimes it's a great song. Hmm? It's a great pop song. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm all about it, like. Goes for the pop song, but I mean, I think I think that's that's well, fair do, enough. Would you would you say that's nearly the director kind of having his cake and eating it too kind of thing? I think in, in a smart way. I, 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 well, I think so because first of all, there's none better you would say than a film that is accessible, but then also has these sort of deep layers that you know the sort of people like us can kind of delve in there and pick away at and say, oh, this means this and this means that and all feel very good about ourselves because we feel intellectual. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if you can just enjoy it on a basic level as well, then that's your fucking quads in as a director because you're going to get a way wider audience. Yeah. And saying that though as well, the vast majority of people I've talked to who wanted to go see Spring Breakers did not like it. Yeah, I'm the same. I just don't think yeah. they got it at all. But, I, uh, yeah, most people just don't really... I think it is too, It's so sad to say though, oh... I'm bored by this film, but that's what the director wants. I get it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of... But I think it's, it challenges in that way. Like I think as well, just to kind of go to it too, I think one of the major turnoffs for a lot of people who went expecting just your typical sort of spring break crime but film. There, but there isn't any spring break crime films. That's the thing. It I was know like, you're saying it was your standard... No, but I'm saying like a standard spring break film or a crime film, which obviously this oh, was okay. mixing the two genres. But I think the standout thing was James Franco. I think most people kind of went there yeah. expecting James Franco to be your sort of standard 
hard man or your sort of standard thug that you would like. Oh, look at Franco doing a good role. Oh, it's going to be all Aye. about Franco. But yeah. then the fact that they kind of totally subvert that and he kind of comes off as a bit of a needy loser. Also, oh, see, whenever they have that scene where like he's like sucking on the silence. Yeah, they, they, they've overpowered they're, him. Like, they're, they're alluding to this sort of insecurity that obviously this man has. Oh, look at all my shit. Look at all my shit. And then he starts sucking on the silence. Like, you know, he's sort of yeah. saying, yeah, this fella isn't really all there. Yeah. But I would you say best thing Franco's ever done? Oh, that's it's something like I do think it's up no, there. No, 128 hours. 127. 127. Yeah, 119. 146 hours. I guess it's like Scorsese's mean girls. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, was it 127? It's 127. 127. Hours, right? Just hack this arm off. Just hack my arm off. Don't shine that light my face, mate. Just lost a pint of blood. Ah, well, I suppose it. You know, you're saying is it the best thing Frank was ever done? But then it's it's comparing because he's done so much different stuff. I mean, like he's done like great comedy stuff, and then he's done his own his own kind. Like even. Like he's wrote a book of poetry. He wrote a book of poetry. Nobody can speak to him. Turn it on the night. A book of poetry. Like a mama used to write. Wrote a book of poetry. Ah, madam, you a book of poems. But you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, why can't the book of poetry be the best thing he ever did? Do you know what I mean? Well, I'm talking about phone because I'm he's talking about book. strictly screen work. Uh well, no, pineapple stress book. No, but you know what I mean. Like he's. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tardy he's, he's, comedy, he's done, yeah. No, well, not necessarily comedy, but he's, like, he's done a diverse amount of stuff, you know what I mean? I think as well at the minute, too, he's still fucking... Very very young. I mean, and he ha- he has that room film or the room film coming oh, up as well. Okay. Yeah, the disaster artist. That could be. I, I've read the book like, and uh, that is ripe for parody. That the, could be the, his disaster piece. The, I'm the, telling you. the weird thing about that though is that Dave Franco's going to be on as well, but they're not playing brothers. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> it's just you're going to have these two people that I, quite look like each you other. Know the best thing Dave Franco ever did. Alison Brie. Oh, oh, really? Did he? Yeah. They're engaged. Oh, well, they're engaged, yeah. Oh, really? They've been together for years. You know Why are you saying that? Like, I should know who's, who Alison Brie's going to be. Do you know Gadam Bites? He's online. What? Not Gadam Bites? Not Gadam Bites. Where should I go? I'm so honest, drink this box wine. I got a litre and a half in my life. I know, I'm going to start drinking it. It's much really? sweet or something. Yeah, I just like nearly have half of the throat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh baby, oh man! Oh no, lads! Don't we drink too much on a podcast night? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not oh, heading out tonight. I'll be home by about twelve o'clock. You're gonna be out there by five in the morning. I got work in the morning. What do you do? <laughs> you just press this button. Just uh, this? No, no, you pull that up. Oh, you pull that up? Oh, yeah. that's hella complicated. Why is it? Why is it not sound as fast flowing as yeah, when you do? I know. <laughs> that sounds like one of them fucking really lazy hangover ones when you first wake up uh, the next day. Uh, <laughs> uh, it just kind of falls, Eddie. 
You're not even putting force on that. Aye, when when you poured it, it was like full full bladder kind of. It's like a yellow cable. <laughs> Wrist horse. Okay, and we shall go into. Oh, that last noise you made was about full on. It was topics entering my body. <laughs> oh, it's coming on every orifice. <laughs> oh, Mikey. You're very dirty tonight, Mikey. I'm always dirty, man. <laughs> That'll be your line. In your ver- <laughs> if you were the Hulk in your version of the Avengers. <laughs> I'm always dirty. <laughs> Just like huge erection breaks out of the I wish. Um, <laughs> yeah, you probably wouldn't wish that, really. Anytime you get an erection, you, your trousers burst off you. Or you would probably just pass out from them with the blood rushing there. Aye, but also as well, like fucking math class when I was 14 would have been dead awkward if that had happened. <laughs> <laughs> it like, just ruined the fucking whole room. Yeah. <laughs> Not a topic, but did you when you were in school, did you ever have to stand up in front of the class when you had an erection? Actually, I used to go away with it. I never had never to. Had I, to I, I had to do this once in history class. Yeah, just do the old belt technique. Just tuck it up under your belt. No, there there, wasn't, there wasn't time. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't time. I just had to, I just had to, no, no, no way you can like stand. So like, the, like you're kind of bending. Your, <laughs> your, basically, I had, I was, uh, my whole, my ass was kind of out the way. So like the, my erection was pointed down the ways. <laughs> But then, uh, but then it just looked like a fucking weirdo standing like his hair. <laughs> I know you can't see it, but you can imagine it. Just, just standing stand like a duck. Like, Do they want to imagine it though? Duck yeah. stance. Oh, fuck. Very awkward. Just actually go back. The talk of the duck, those are the two options. Like, No. I know we're thinking about school. Obviously not a topic. We'll get straight back into that. But do you remember when you were in school, right? The most exciting thing that could ever happen. Maybe when a dog got in a school. <laughs> like, honestly, it's like you never seen a fucking dog before. Like a dog got in a school. There's boys fucking rushing out of classrooms. Once they look at this dog and fuck about with it. Have you seen a dog in the street, you wouldn't give a fuck? Mm. I probably would. So you, I never had a dog growing up. Like. You have a dog now, but that's oh. nice. And she's she lovely. Okay, I love Jill. <laughs> oh! oh, I'm sorry. It was too easy, Jill. Oh. I love you. Cut that. That's how I'm not going to that wedding. Thanks. That's <laughs> what he's going home for. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go into my topic first. Go. I'm talking. Uh, <clears throat> no, obviously, Deadpool came out, what, two, three weeks ago now? Mm-hmm. And it's made all the money. <laughs> so much money. It's like made like over 500 million worldwide. No one can talk. Worldwide. Represent, but yeah, like that's insane for like a film that costs like fifty million to make, and they they were they were worried about it actually making its money back, and it's made just all the money. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Mental. I think especially for an R-rated film as well, which usually do not make that much money. I mean, like it has to be like it must be the highest grossing R-rated film ever now. I think I think it's I don't know what it was before, but I think it's broken all the kind of R-rated records. Yeah, because obviously. If it is an R-rated film, then even though probably it is pretty easy to get into a cinema if you're under 18 or if you're under 17, like in the States or whatever, but at the same time, the reason that most of the highest grossing films ever are 12s, maybe even 15s, is because you can get more people in, and as well, if it's aimed at a younger audience, who are the people who usually go to cinemas more, then it's easier to obviously get more fucking people in seats and get more money back from that. But our Reddit is almost like kind of a death knell there, producer, because they think, oh, well, only seven people can see this. Although, 
like R rated is an American certification of you can see it by yourself over seventeen. Otherwise, you need an adult with you. I need an I adult. Think, I think Deadpool here was actually a fifteen. Was it? I think so. I thought that would have been an eighteen because the, the graphics quite full on and. But it's it's not that eighteen's more uh, about sex. And they they don't know why a lot of violence for fifteen, but as soon as you start showing anything, it's like you know, actually nudity. Yeah, well, there's there's a sex. good bit of sex in yeah, yeah, Deadpool. Oh, right. Fucking fair, full on sex. Actually, I, 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 I haven't seen the full on yeah. sex. So. But anyway, uh, be, because of the su- success of Deadpool, there's been a lot of rumblings about oh, R-rated comic book films is the way it's going to be now, and like the the next Wolverine film, it's either been rumored. I don't think it's actually been confirmed yet, but that might be R-rated, and. There was this tweet released about there's going to be a Batman versus Superman like R rated like I think it's called the Ultimate Edition like Blu-ray edition of it where it's going to be yeah. R rated as well. And it's just like, do you think producers are going to be stupid and think oh R rated makes money? Or are they going to realize that Deadpool made money because of yeah, of the character, yeah. of the actual story? I think it'd be very very stupid they jump on that train but of course that's you know essentially what kind of mainstream hollywood is it's about jumping on trends and what's kind of hot at the moment and you know we got our finger on the pulse i think with deadpool it works because deadpool is foul-mouthed he is super violent and it works within his world but then if you're then just gonna like crowbar in sex scenes you're gonna crowbar in like overly <laughs> if you're going to crowbar and overly stylize violence and the Batman and Superman, it'll just become jarring because, first of all, even in the comics, you don't really associate Superman or Batman or any other comic book character, or most of them anyway, with that sort of full-on violence. So I don't think it will work that well. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that Superman and Batman belong in the sort of maybe 12 to 15 world. But I'm saying that if we sort of see a movement now where you have filmmakers maybe not even just talking about comic book films, but they're actually willing just to put stuff out there and not be scared of the R rating, then that might be good. You know, yeah. that, you know, but yeah. I, I, but if the story no, demands no, 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 that's, that. That's definitely good, but I, I don't think, I, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of filmmakers out there who probably are afraid of the R written, but I think that if you have enough conviction in your film and you actually want to show your film as it is then you'll just take whatever written i think it's more producers who are afraid of it you know what i mean mm. i think it's more producer afraid they are written but it's never stopped the success of a lot of films that have been are written but well, it's tarantino it's, as well isn't yeah, it like exactly. all the way along but i mean like it's it's, it's strange that there has actually been uh, me and a friend we're talking about this recently there has been a decline in, in our written films because you remember when you were growing up and there used to be like 18s being released the cinema and you're like oh jeez I really want to see it more because you weren't 18 and there was the curiosity of actually being in the cinema and seeing 18 and you always believed that it was going to be more telling or more violent than what it actually was now if you're probably look at those films they seem quite tame by today's standards but there's not that many films that are released anymore that are 18 but the thing is though like you know we're going now from comic book films which were a lot of the time like the Spider-Man franchise was a lot of the time was about children yeah I mean, no, fair enough. I'm not saying that those films were bad because I think a lot of them weren't. They, they were very good, actually. You know, well done and, you know, people could enjoy them. But super films were predominantly, especially the Batman films, were about getting kids in. Yeah. But never seen this sort of movement where the people who went to see the Batmans, the, the, the older Batman, sorry, you know, and the Spider-Mans are now, you know, our age, you know, in their mid yeah, And they still want superhero films. So maybe, should, do you think we might see a movement towards more adult superhero films just in general I think that would maybe be like a, a Punisher film or something yeah. that, that is actually see, good uh, like the Punisher the Punisher needs to be 18 to be done right hence well, the, why the, did you ever see the Punisher Warzone no because the, they are two young incarnations of Punisher <laughs> but he's, he's my favourite comic book character and I know he's a very 1D character but 
just any time he's been brought on screen, he's been it's been awful. Because the, the they just don't get it. They just they just treat him as like, which he yeah, is a typical thug, but you can do it in a way more stylized way, and you can give him a wee bit more depth, you know. Because Frank Castle isn't just a fucking cardboard character, like. But I think the Punisher War Zone is that it's actually a bit of crack. Like like they they really go like hard or like violence wise and stuff, and they it does just kind of go for it. Where like in in the other ones, it kind of felt like. I don't know, they, they were being a bit shy about it or didn't want it just to be about that, but the Punisher Warzone just goes balls out of the bath, just, he will fuck everyone up, yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. And it's it, it's a bit of crack in that way. like Because I, I heard it was almost like a candy commando in a way of just how fucking out there it is. Like. It's just so ridiculous that it's actually fun. Yeah. You know what I, mean? Mm. I mean, but obviously that's more likely what they were going for. They're not saying that this is actually a place out they are trying to make it a wee bit kitsch. Like, Aye, but that, I think that's why Punisher Wars and work yeah. because it is just kind of over-the-top violence. Like, like and also the dinner scene. Oh, like, can, I, can I say as well, though, there was one time I was working at a call center uh, do, dealing with like, you know, uh, well, at the time it was like, you know, banks or whatever, post office bonds, whatever the fuck. But uh, I was uh, on the phone with this woman uh, she's called Sarah Castle. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, you've got a joint account. Could you like, give me the date of birth and the name of uh, your husband? I was like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, Frank Castle. I was like, all right, your husband's name is Frank Castle? And she's like, oh, yeah. And then I was when the system loaded up, and I had to say, so, do you know Frank Castle's, like, uh, he sort of doesn't make small talk in this sort of nah. time, and she's all, well, I know you're going to say it's the name of that comic book fella. And I was like, I the boy's name was Frank Castle. So good. Uh, Such a I, strong name too. I mean, it sticks out like Peter it, Parker. Do I, you know what I mean? It's like that much of a... Did you just say there's like, I'm sorry for your future. Because <laughs> 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 the mafia is coming to your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like but uh, it's strange. You wouldn't want to marry somebody called Frank Castle. <laughs> <laughs> I think it always sticks out too because it's one of the few Marvel ones that isn't alliterative. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, uh, Matt Murdock or Peter Parker. Oh, well, I, it was, I, it was, it was Dark Horse, wasn't it? it no, was he's, a, he's Marvel. Uh, but then he moved to I moved over. Main he thing, moved, I, no, I, yeah, I think yeah. that was in that, it was not it was like something like Vertigo comics or something like that which was good because obviously Marvel kind of follow the comic book code and you know they're kind of aimed at kids and I they've, they've darkened in, in recent years but when I was growing up they were very much kid oriented yeah. so they actually loaned them out to another comic book company so you could really get the best out of the Punisher because he, he, he a PG Punisher shit you know what I mean you, you need him like Deadpool to be full on now that example of the Punisher yeah 100% are rooted all the way because that's you know how you get the best out of the character and even in regards to like Batman say if you were taking like the Frank Miller uh, series when he was writing maybe in the late 80s you know stuff like the killing joke that will lend itself very very well to an R written but I just don't want them to go down the line where oh we'll just make it R written for the sake of easy because the, the thing I was thinking about is like the uh, there's going to be a Superman Batman Ultimate Edition which is going to be R rated on Blu-ray mm. And it's you just like honestly, I don't actually think that's true. Yeah. Like it, it, mm. it wasn't released by Warner Bros. It was it was released by the ratings people, the MPAA or whatever you yeah. call them in America. But so maybe it is true, and maybe they they are putting that through. But it just it seems odd that like they like even in shooting it, they know what they can get away with with a twelve A rating, mm. and for them to kind of waste time doing stuff that maybe R rated. It just seems uh, like e- e- like even Zack Snyder like he's done mostly R rated stuff mm. like he, like Watchmen was R rated in three hundred and stuff mm. and Watchmen I, need to be R rated I mean that that needed yeah. that I, yeah. Way, yeah and so like for, coming from that kind of director maybe he pushed it a bit or whatever but yeah. they they know they're investing so much money in this and they know what they can get away with they they're not going to waste time and money 
Uh, because like this has been in production like for years now. Yeah. Like they pushed it back a whole year and stuff like that. And it's just like I the only way that'll be alright is just they're gonna digitally add blood. Yep. That's it. Exactly. I think as well, like you were saying and we were discussing before that there's not as many R-rated films anymore. It's because I think this generation is so desensitized to violence and sex. I think this is the generation that has been most desensitized to it. So what could you even look at some films? Films that would have been in 18, maybe in the late 80s, early 90s, would now be a 15, sometimes even a 12. Because you can get away yeah. with so much more. I, I mean, like, you can get away with a shit ton. Like, as, as long as there isn't blood, yeah, you, it's fine. Which is phenomenal. Because if that is true, that Deadpool was actually a 15 over here, that's mental. Because that is so many swear words there's i wouldn't say really really graphic sex but quite graphic sex really graphic violence so it just shows how much you can get away with well just to say as well i mean uh what do you think about ratings i mean i think there should obviously there should be some sort of rating standard of course but i mean is there a film that an 18 year old should be able to watch that a 15 year old shouldn't that's what i'm saying I th- that i think that's the point we're trying to get at though i think now it's almost become interchangeable and i think that's the reason why you don't see that many 18s anymore because unless it is massively shocking like say antichrist or anything large one trade like say yeah like you know necromaniac or something like that or uh irreversible or irreversible mm-hmm. that should be nymphomaniac not nymphomaniac. necromaniac, <laughs> necromaniac. Jeez, necromaniac. Awful, i know necromaniac no he's done this before. i've done this <laughs> i always call him <laughs> crazy with dead people which, just... which is even worse but if, next if it is that full on and maybe that upsetting and that shocking then definitely I'm sure you should have an adult mindset and be an 18 year old to watch it but it seems now that the reason there's so many 15s and not that much R-rated stuff is just the fact that most kind of even full on violence is almost acceptable on a 15 you know what I mean well, Aye, so that's, that, no but that's yeah. what I was saying is like there's kind of loopholes around it. Like, you can have the worst violence, but as long as there isn't a drop of blood, you're fine. Well, yeah, it's like Jurassic Park 2, isn't it? There's like, you know, uh, eight people, like, die on screen at the time. That was like a 12A. Eh? Yeah. And then you didn't see a drop of blood, but eight people died. But then there was another film at the same time. I remember reading an article about it. Like, I was very young at the time, but it was saying that, you know, this other film has a sex scene in it, and it's a 15. Yeah. Like, well, what are we really teaching our kids or what, what we're shielding them so much from sex but violence is like a thing ah, that's, that's fine just, yeah oh it's grand I, yeah. I, I, most, mostly if someone gets like an r rating or an 18 rating it's uh it's sex or language it's mm. not so much violence yeah what was my max fear road then 15 serious yeah that was a 15 that and what fair. and even even going at that too i mean you're talking about nudity and stuff there are some sort of anomalies on there too because titanic's a 12 there's noodling in Titanic. It's done tastefully though. It's done tastefully, but at the same time, it's it's still noodling. Because I remember even when I, I, you might even be in the same class when we were like Christ primary school, maybe about nine or ten. They shoot, they put Titanic on for us. I have no idea why they put Titanic on. Maybe because it was Bolton Belfast, and you know it was something to do with mm. the local community or something like that. But as soon as a bunch of nine or ten year old fucking boys and girls, as soon as Kate Winslet got her fucking baptizer, it was oh, hey, hey, oh, no, it's crap, but what I know, like saying? my 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 my, my ma- I think it was a twelve. Uh, Titanic and my ma had to sneak me into the cinema to go see it. So Aye. my ma snuck Did your ma take you to see Titanic? Yeah. Ah. And then Kate Winslet got her tits out. No, <laughs> no, but I was all embarrassed. I was like, oh, I'm not looking. You have to, to stand up again, did you know? <laughs> do your duck, your, do, do your duck stance? I may have been holding popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you're sat beside your ma, that's fucking strange. I'm not doing it to me ma. <laughs> But no, I just I I just have this fear of 
because Deadpool was so successful, and like everybody's all like R-rated, like comic films haven't even existed. I mean, like Watchmen and Three Hundred, yeah. they like I don't think Watchmen actually did that well, did it? But Three Hundred was a big success. Watchmen was like, very good on DVD, though, wasn't it? Not like it's, I, it's sort of that recouped it on DVD. Yeah. I mean, it, it found its yeah. audience through DVD. Like, but, but I mean, but like, they, when they, you're, when you're, they when, had even like an extended thing on DVD. Then yeah. like they added in more stuff. I mean, like, when you, but if you're looking at just actual box office tickets, then no, it doesn't right. do that well. And, but, think and like the, the first Sin City, I mean, I'm sure that was R-rated, and that's no, comic book. And it's like just people are going on about like, oh, R-rated comic book films, a new thing. It's like well, it's not a new thing. There's a rape scene in it. Like, what one when he gets done by the bear? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> two rips in. <laughs> uh, I think it might have been. It might that, have been Nate. That bear. Considering that mold the fuck of him was dead friendly. Yeah, I know. Didn't actually fuck him up too badly. I know. I'm just gonna check this out right now. I think the Revenant was an 18 though. If, if not, then it would have been a very strong 15. No, yeah. if that's a 15, then I don't know what the hell gets an 18 over here. Yeah, exactly. That's I what mean, I'm saying though. But that's what I'm saying that 15 and 18 now is that interchangeable. By the way, you know he's the president of the BBFC. You see him every time you go to the cinema. The wee certificate. Ah, fuck! I never mind his name. Quentin Thomas. Quentin Thomas. That's right. Hell of a name. Hell of a name. Or at least like. it was that, you know, five years ago when I last went to cinema. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just the kind of thing of... The the reason Deadpool was successful is not because it was R-rated, but because they were true to the character. And you don't necessarily... Like, people go on about uh, the comic book storylines and all. It and was an 18. Sorry, I, I just know, think the it was it an 18. It deserved to be fair, yeah. But uh, people go on about like, oh, they have to be true to the comic books and all that. You don't, you don't have to be true to the comic. The only, the only time people complain about it not being true to the comic book is when it doesn't do well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Days of Future Past, what I watched uh, this week, that is in no way similar to the actual comic. Dave's, well, should even Days Dinklage as well. You know, Dinklage's character is not, you know, uh, as, what's, what's Bolivar Trask. What yeah, a name! I know. I mean, Hell of a name. Uh, what's the, what's the right term again? It's magic, isn't it? No, small person. Small person. It's just small person, now, is it? Yeah. It is not a dwarf, as a, as no, dwarf, no, but no, but a dwarf is like you know. No, a dwarf is a like all dwarfs are small people. Not all small people are dwarfs. Ah, all there right. we go. Okay. Well, is it a from written system? He, he's actually not a small person <laughs> in the comics, but you know it actually adds something that the fact that he's talking about these people who are better than him. Yeah. You know, it, it adds to the character, but it's not even brought up once. I think, the film, I think it was which is actually smart. a big, think, big yeah, plus point for the film. It is, it is yeah. a very good thing. And as well, I think Brian Singer was just dying to work up here in England. Why wouldn't he? He's a exactly. phenomenal actor. Just a capitalize that fucking Game of Thrones thing Game he's going to come on at the minute. What? That G.O.T. Dalla. Give me that man that rained it on me. But... No, like, you, you don't necessarily have to be true to, like, the storylines of the comics. But you just have to be true to the characters. And that's what Deadpool did. And that's what Ryan Reynolds says. Like, this is the most true adap- a comic book adaptation they that he thinks has been done of an actual comic book so character. Says Mr. Green Lantern. Yeah, I know. I know, but he's it, like he's saying it's better than Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm the fact saying. as well, like, Green Lantern gets so much abuse on Deadpool. Like, it's obvious. It's almost like Ryan Reynolds is atoning for his past mistakes in that film. But even in Green Lantern, Ryan Reynolds wasn't the problem in Green no, Lantern. I think he was one of the problems. We've discussed this, Michael. I don't think he ever should have been Green Lantern. He shouldn't have been Hal Jordan. He didn't fit the role. He didn't... Well, obviously, when he done the original Deadpool 2 and X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is horrendously fucking horrific, uh, he didn't really fit because that was a PG Deadpool. And there you go. No. I mean, like, there's the exact example. 
no, but what the first, Deadpool would have been. The first like, 15 minutes of that film or something where he's just being Wade Wilson, that's sweet. Aye, but compare that Wade Wilson to the Wade Wilson you see in the actual Deadpool. Aye, but this it just shows how much better it can be if you get that out written. Because Aye. that's true to the character. Well, anyway, which back, is exactly what you're arguing about. Back to my original <laughs> point, Dickett. You're arguing... You're making me argue against my own point. <laughs> no, but, no, but uh, yeah. Being true more to the character. So, say, say even a Batman film. Batman... Like not really is R rated. Like it's a it's, he's he's a 12A rating. You know what I mean? You, and especially now where you can get away with more violence and stuff like that. Here. Batman doesn't need to be R rated. I mean, you can say like things like the killing joke work, but that's 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 the worst stuff of the Batman stuff, really. Isn't it? Yeah, that's the most. Well, there's, there's, the there's, not, there's a couple of Frank Miller ones where he's all like he didn't feed Robin, and Robin had like chased for rats and stuff, and you know that. Yeah. that was, but that's like sort of the very worst they ever got. Or when yeah. or when Joker like kills Barbara Gordon, who's like Commissioner Gordon. No, 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 she no, he, no, he parallels her. No, it's yeah. like when he kills Robin. Boy Todd, isn't it? What do you call him? Jason, Jason Todd. Todd yeah. He blows up the building. See, that could be pretty fucking, but at the same time, you could do that. Hey, you see, that's, that's the thing. You still could do that. And then Jason Todd doesn't actually die. He turns into Red Hood. Oh. Do you know what would be really cool? <laughs> <you know? laughs> For a film that doesn't exist. Do you know, do you know, what, you know what I hit? Is that every single time we come here to talk about films, we end up talking about comic books so much. It just shows how much comic books is like dominated. Well, really, it's just me because I like comic books. <laughs> uh, no me man I fucking despise him I but anyway, don't like him being okay. true being true to the character so it's not it's not about everything has to be R-rated it's just Deadpool is an R-rated character and I think even the rumours of the the, uh, the new Wolverine film being R-rated I think that could work because you can get really bloody and really violent with Wolverine especially like the kind of berserker kind of rage and if it's going to be an old man Logan story as well that probably lends itself more to R-rating but just, they don't all have to be R-rated now, and they don't yeah. all have to swear and have tits in them, you know what I mean? <laughs> just be more true to the character, and I just, I'm just hoping that producers don't take the wrong symbol from Deadpool's success. I really yeah, yeah. think it's going to go that way, though, because, I mean, if, Jesus Christ, if you look at the Avengers and you look at Batman and Superman, they're doing more than alright on the fucking, you know, 12 written, 15 written, as it is, like... Okay, we'll move on to our next topic, Shankar. Um, from talking about Point Blank earlier on, who was an influence on New Hollywood in the seventies, obviously like American filmmaking is renowned for having like the movie brats and you know tapping the studio system on its head. What I'm wondering is how do you think this current generation of film will be remembered in twenty, thirty years down the line? What will be the you know what what will be the standouts? Because obviously, I've I've read a book. I'm not sure if you've read it, but it's um. Definitely. No, it's uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls by Peter Buskin. It's it's seen as like probably the greatest insight to the shadow system, or sorry, not the shadow system, but the the film industry ever. And it's about like New Hollywood in the seventies, how it Mm. came about, why it failed, and et cetera, et cetera. So he states in that book that if you look back in any generation of film or any generation of art or just any generation of life, that obviously nostalgia is is a great wiper of the bad stuff because you know during the 70s even though it's kind of now seen like oh you know Scorsese and Spielberg and Coppola they all came to the fore and you know it was this big creative melting pot and blah 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 but he says that there was still a lot of shit released in the 70s yeah, yeah. 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 You know I mean? awful yeah, stuff that yeah you, the, that you just kind of brush over when you're talking about this so how do you think this generation of film will be remembered um well obviously a big thing for us now in this generation is comic book films mm-hmm. and it's just the kind of thing will will those stand up to be remembered or are they because like as a person that loves comic films like 
there are times when you're watching your ones where it's getting a bit formula well not it's getting formulaic or it's getting a bit similar and are they just going to drift into just being all yeah. the same kind of thing and just nearly wiped out as all the same I, thing I, even I, though you have like special things in there like guardians galaxy is a was a really funny like space opera kind of thing which yeah. is a standout from the things that were happening around it but would that stand out if you took them all as a whole in mm. 30 years time you know what I mean because I've, I've even found that recently that especially with and I don't want to talk too much about comic book films because you know we, we're discussing the death but I think even with the likes of Age of Ultron and all like the sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe they're all starting to become very similar yeah and like you yeah, said always the, the ending battle scene in a city and be bigger, yeah because yeah, because yeah. Guardians even suffers from that as well yeah they're starting to become very formulaic and it's just will it be that when you look back in 30 years time there might be a couple of standouts like I'm sure people will still be pointing to the Dark Knight and people will point to Guardians of the Galaxy because that was about out there and people will probably point to Deadpool because that was their original one but will they hold up as being culturally significant you know what i mean or no you see well, no, that's, that's what i'm saying i think they would all be swept under the same rug yeah no because... no I, I don't think that though man because there's there's a lot of uh really really good stuff within i, I know i'm always a big naysayer but i know what films. the fuck are you do no no there's so much good stuff in there. as you say guardians of the galaxy i mean beyond being a good comic book film it's actually a very good solid maybe like a sort of body comedy in yeah, some levels but you know with, with more than two characters like yeah and uh great lines very funny very of its time anything that can uh, make batista look good is obviously doing oh, of course like. yeah <laughs> big tracks but uh yeah but obviously i think obviously the dark knight and you know uh batman begins and dark knight rises i don't really agree with dark knight rises but the rest of it will stand out very well i think yeah but uh i don't know i think this sort of this sort of time as well i mean we've seen a lot of really really good directors come out and i think new directors cinema i don't know maybe hollywood's given a lot more time to them maybe i'm wrong i mean like you know you look at boys like Inaratu, villanova i, th I think i uh, think that uh, more indie directors i think that's like a continuation from like the indie explosion in the 90s you know that kind of mm. give the likes of tarantino and the cones a chance well fair enough the cones kind of started in the, the late 80s but it wasn't until the 90s they really kind of stamped their foot down and kind of announced themselves but so i think that's a continuation of that and it's weird as well and i think this is some that this generation will be remembered for but it's more that the how do you differentiate what an indie is and what like a kind of mainstream film is yeah, has I mean, become quite jaded well, yeah because the well, in, indie yeah. isn't really indie anymore yeah exactly mm. because even indie films like uh three like paramount vantage seem to specialize in them now much obviously miramax have always specialized in sort of indies but they are still massively massively funded and actually, very heavily I, produced. actually i recently listened to a uh kevin smith podcast when he was talking about uh, Jay and Silent Bob were going to have their own video game. Oh, my. <laughs> but uh, but he, he gave us kind of wee speech at the beginning where every everybody always identified him as the indie filmmaker, Kevin mm -hmm. Smith. But at, but after Clerks, which he did indie, he paid for it all on credit cards yep. to buy mm -hmm. After Clerks, he he, he was wrote a paycheck. Of course, Mer yeah. Miramax is paying him the direct films, That's and uh, and in a way, the deal that he had set up was kind of ruining his films in a way that because it was an escalation that he had to be paid more according to this contract that there was more money needed to go into these films rather than him making his low budget things that would have paid a certain amount of people. Yeah, it's not like yeah. a Woody Allen thing where one of them makes more, oh, that's great, one of them makes less, oh, shot's still great, we'll just keep on carrying on. It sort yeah. of becomes this sort of sense now where, oh, constantly 
oh, we keep on going. But then it's also that law of diminishing returns, isn't it? Yeah. You know, where if somebody, I think, like Kevin Smith, I would say this is part of, like, has a problem where Clerks, I think, is a very, very good independent film. Yeah, I think Morad, Kevin Smith. Dogma, Sandals, and then everything else is sort Kevin of just Smith, less. He peaked too early. Kevin yeah. Smith, I think that's the problem. And exactly like Dan was saying, his films have dubbed in quality. And he's got a very, very dedicated fan base. But I think that's more than Kevin Smith as a man himself because he is so charismatic. And he is so good to his fans. And he kind of keeps them engaged because... You look at Tusk, was it? Yeah. That's awful. But, but you, you look at... Uh, what, what was it? We, uh, I, I, actually, I actually think that's his best film in years. Uh, you but really you, like Red But State. you look at... Uh, what was it with Tracy Morgan? Good Cop, Bad Cop? Cop, oh, cop, cop Out. Oh, Cop Out. Good, 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 good Cop, cop bad, bad Cop. I don't know what the fuck. I was like, I have no idea. Like, But I didn't see it, but I just heard it was horrendous. And no, that was the first time that... Film. Was it that he directed a script that he hadn't wrote? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, but that, this is what he was saying in the podcast, that it's only... Now since Toss that he is actually literally returning to indie filmmaking where mm-hmm. he is getting funding for his films yep. rather than he's being paid a wage. What, what, what do you think? What do you think about Kevin Smith? Like in terms of, I think for the film I, industry, he's very good. I I like him. He's an absolute mouth. I like the fact that he realizes that he has a mouth because he says that. Yeah, he's he is. He has no kind of qualms about himself. I mean, like yeah. he knows what he is and he just puts it out there. I do think him as a person too, which is strange. I mean, I don't find his films that funny anymore. But him as a person is actually very funny and very very yeah. engaging and very good to listen to. He's, he's and he can tell a story. I think that he's a good bridge between the film industry and the fan because, like I was saying before, he's so good to his fans and he gives so much information and he tells it like it is. You know. Yeah. He's, it's not like he's under contract or he's very guarded with what he says it's unfortunate that his films have kind of dipped on the very poor quality in recent years I mean I think it's some rose tinted glasses too when you look at well, Clerks is great but then like Mallrats was my favourite film when I was like a fucking Wayne like younger mm-hmm. and I look at it now and it's very flawed but I still like it there's still enough oh yeah there is Chase and Amy Chase and Amy it's actually a very solid very film. very good drama yeah. and then Dogma is very funny maybe has hasn't aged as well as what you know it could have, but it's still very very good. But then Jay and Silent Bob's per, I like Redstone, it, and it was the first time they actually kind of got serious. And then, well, Tusk was an abomination. But can I, can I, I say as well like though, I, I haven't seen Redstone or Tusk, but I think uh, he's a he's a hack. I, ah, I, I, I always I, thought that I... I just don't like him. I mean, he had this he, he had this sort of nerve. You know, he was very very good at the yeah. time. You know, independent cinema, well done, very well done. But I mean, all single, every single thing I hear that he comes out with, he's just all bigging himself up all the time. Oh, should I find Ben Affleck? Oh, you know, you know, Oscar-winning fucking Ben Affleck no, twice over. No, but I mean, come on, get over yourself, like. No, but he say he says that kind of shit as a joke. Like he he like, he, he, yeah. he says it to get people annoyed. Like he, he he's nearly like an agitator as well. Like, yeah, like he he I just puts shit out there because like he says himself, he's a media whore. He'll talk yeah. to anybody about fucking. I, I don't like that. How many have like I've even had jokes about that because I mean, oh, of course, I know they're friends. You know, yeah. Kevin Smith did near enough give Affleck a start. Like he started putting them in big roles and very very small films, and then. It was a few years later, ninety seven, where obviously you don't. Affleck started getting big, but then he was still doing Kevin Smith films. Yeah, and hence why he still goes back. Well, he hasn't done so in quite a while, like, but he, you know, he still nah, goes back to some of his Maybe Ben got too big. Kevin, to be around me, my No, because when Ben Affleck was the nicest Batman, Kevin Smith was all, "Oh my God, I'm friends with Batman. I haven't talked to him in ten years." I excuse me, Kevin. Me and Rosamund Pike are going out for coffee. Fuck you. Me and David Fincher are going to have like a week. Cocktail and have a, a bong. I have a three, I'll see you after. I'm three o'clock with Tom Cruise. Kev, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Kev, Kev, like, I Kev. don't. I don't sit in your fucking man cave and read fucking <laughs> Green Lantern comics. You're right, buddy. Kevin Smith still lives in Ben Affleck's house, though, isn't it? Yeah, like he's he sold like his house to him. 
But no, Ke- Kevin Smith in general, I think he he has he has his place. He like as as yeah. Shan said, and as we said before, he has a very strong, dedicated fan base, and then. That's essentially all he needs. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like he just and I like he just the fact he's never to be indie. What he's doing? Yeah, he, but I, that's what I've always liked about him too. He's never tried to go outside that because if Kevin Smith wanted, especially in the late nineties and early two thousands, he could have had a massive budget to do a way bigger film. But he was content on doing the sort of well, films that he was doing. Was Jane Silent Bob's uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back? Was that not like quite big enough budget? Was it not? It was big budget. I mean, it was, it was, it was the biggest him, budget he's I, he's ever but, had. But even then, it's actually, tens of millions. No, but it? no, but I even think like from watching it with the the commentary when I was like 11 or 12 and first getting them to film I'm near enough sure that he said that each of his films obviously Clerks was paid for with his own fucking credit card they maxed out yeah this goes then, back to the contract yeah. I was on about and then Mallrats was 6 million which is quite a lot and then I think Chase Amy was slightly more than that and Dogma was slightly more but he says every of the first 5 films he made they always went up in budget but I think that Jane Silent Bob was 20 million but 20 million is a lot of money but at the same time for a film of that type it's not a lot. It doesn't work. Spe- uh, but, but especially like a like just like a big comedy like I heard yeah. twenty million is not much. But the thing is, you know, those films work. Like Kevin Smith's films work because of their sort of uh, their humor and their sort of the fact they are a bit naff and a bit iffy. I think so. Whenever like, you get this, uh, you know, crisp production on it, it doesn't really work. Uh, it's a bit but too Hollywood. I, I, yeah, I, I was reading online like, as well. Jane uh, and Bob suffered because that. Well, first of all, it suffered because it wasn't that great a script. Second of all, it suffered because you were taking like we've said before the sort of. Uh, the supporting characters who are really intriguing but put them back in them the protagonists yeah. which automatically takes away the mystique and you realise right these characters are kind of we well that's, not, that's narcissism isn't that as well yeah. because it's him well no friend, well, no, I, I, I think because Jay and Silent Bob were a big thing through his whole just, film just like, well, Shan knows because he spent loads of money on the action figures <laughs> I remember when we were 14 <laughs> they're, still, they're still in my fucking attic oh no <laughs> still in my attic oh my I know, you sell them for some shit nah what a fuck man they were, they were <laughs> I, mean, I, remember, I remember you I guarantee I'd lose money on them <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember you bought them and you, were, you said I felt oh I might keep them in the packaging and then like you know I might earn some money in the years of comedy he goes no nah, man you might as well just get them in the yeah, package and enjoy them they're still lying up there I was going to give them to me brother but then I didn't quite want to give an action figure to me wee brother that has a bong and a piece of dog shit like you know what I mean he's, <laughs> he's only nine <laughs> so oh I, I was reading online it was like uh, Kevin Smith's uh, actual career has gone the opposite way of what every single YouTuber wants he's gone from like you know directing like Hollywood films with big budgets to being on YouTube asking people for money yeah. <laughs> you know you know, would generally it goes hopefully the other way for all these other people when's he on YouTube asking people for money well he's not YouTubing all the time like you know ask people to donate or you know oh, go and share the channel sponsor the channel I, I don't watch no, him I don't like him he's not on YouTube he has a lot of podcasts but he... oh I thought it was a YouTube thing that he does it's not like a video thing no I don't, I don't follow him at all there's so. no because there's an actual there's a YouTube channel called kind of funny that did a podcast with Kevin Smith and they always have like a video podcast mm. and they said him's like oh is it alright if we set up a camera and he's like no <laughs> he's like he doesn't mm. want to be on camera when he's podcasting like I can see no, why <laughs> he, is, he has a big podcast network and they make money through like sponsorship and stuff like that here. but no he's not on YouTube right? he, he doesn't ask his fans for money he gets sponsored through like different businesses or whatever that want to advertise on his podcast he's not Zach Braff like you know? Oh, I know, yeah, he doesn't have to <laughs> Oh, but he's caught oh, a bind. He doesn't like us. Oh, he's done now, man. Hey, I have fully said that film was shit. It was. And I'm glad I didn't. What, Garden States? Yeah. Nah, the fucking. No. I know, I know, the, I know. The other one. Why, what'd you call it? <laughs> uh, wish You Were Here. Or something, wasn't no, it? Wish I Was Here. Wish I Was Here. It was a very pretentious. Wish Janitor Was Here. Maybe, 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 maybe we're going to make some fucking likes then. 
Uh, anyway, just going back to the original topic of how mm. we think this generation of film might be remembered. There was just one thing. Well, I think we summed it up, Kevin. Kevin Smith. He's a particle. There was, there was just, uh, there was a thing knocking about my mind over like uh, the past year or so when I was thinking about this. Now, usually very small genres of film that maybe weren't noticed uh, in the time period they were released. Uh, people kind of go back them and revise them, and they're kind of seen as maybe being culturally or aesthetically significant, etc., etc. But I think that there's a raft of good stuff happening right now that maybe just flies on the radar and you don't realise is there. Now, I'm not saying that all Mumblecore is good, but I've talked about Mumblecore before mm. and the fact that that is Andy Fulmican. I mean, that is Andy Fulmican made on not even a low budget, $20,000 or whatever. This is being made on fucking nothing. This is a couple of boys getting together, a couple of boys and gears, whatever. Camera, no lighting, just shooting it natural and then improvising a lot of stuff and just kind of... Showing how life goes usually for kind of young, maybe like mid to late twenties people, early thirties, and it's very interesting because it may not be the most kind of visually striking films you'll see, but many many mumblecores that I've watched have affected me way more than any sort of refined Oscar bit drama because yeah. it's actually people your age and fair enough you know that they, they might be living in a different country but they're still tapping under the same things they still have the same insecurities they still have the same things they're worried about. I know it just gets you, it feels very real, and it feels very real because usually it is just these real people talking about their own fears, but they're doing it under the cloak of a character. Well, yeah, you it's, that sort, it's that sort of thing as would, well. Would Tiny yeah. Furniture come under Mumblecore? That is one of the most famous Mumblecore yeah. films. Yeah. So that is Mumblecore. But, well, just to say one thing about Mumblecore as well. Or Slackavides, as it's called. It goes back to the whole uh, the Marxist thing, isn't it? You know, uh, two working class people meet, and it doesn't matter what country they're from. You know, they have more in common with each other than what they do for the leaders of the country or the people they they hold up in higher standard of the country. But just to say as well, I think we might be seeing the advent of maybe some different because uh, Mad Max Fury Road really turned the action genre on its head. I think. Yeah. Where you have this sort of idea now, which I think has been we've been crying out for for a fucking long time. Fuck all your CGI. We need a lot more practical effects. Yep. No, obviously CGI no, has its but place. Fuck that statement. Because there's so much in Mad Max that's CGI. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> no, I know. But there's I, so I, I there's so much in there that is also practical as yeah. well. It's not I like know, a, know, it's not like it's Blade fucking Trinity. I, mean? I think no, yeah, but, but this but, but, yeah. so, this really yeah, fucks me off. And I'm sorry, Daniel. But no, go ahead, go ahead. Disagree with me, please. This really Disagree fucks me, me off. Please. Where <laughs> people be all like, "Oh, this is so good because it's all practical effects, and this is amazing because it's real." It's like <laughs> fuck off. Everything in some way is some way CGI'd in some fucking way. Yes, but let's be fair, right? If you're going to film like a car crash, no, the backdrop might be fake because I'm not focusing on that. I don't give a fuck. The foreground might be fake. I don't give a fuck. As long as you get the actual crash and it's an actual crash that's recorded and then you put that into your film, that's what I'm focused on. That's what works. I understand that, but it is the CGI then that elevates it to another level. Exactly. But, I, I, but I do think, right... I am a massive proponent for practical effects, but I'm not one of these people that says, oh, anything CGI is bad, because obviously CGI has given filmmakers such a raft of possibilities they never had before, especially the technology that's available, even the, the most novice filmmaker now. What I do think about... Which are monsters? Yeah, yeah. What I do think about Mad Max Fury Road, though, is that it's the perfect marriage of bringing back the old school practical ways, but then, you know, letting them meet the new school of CGI. I mean, you have yeah, those, no, you have those that's, seven that's, shots no. over, like, all the cars chasing each other, and you can't get that with CGI, you know? No, it's but, like, the, you, no but this is what I'm real. saying. Maybe my anger kind of misconstrued. I'm not, I'm not saying everything has to be CGI. Um, all, all I'm saying about Mad Max Fury Road specifically is people go on about, 
uh, it's great because it's practical effects. There, and there is a lot of practical effects in there, but it's also a lot of CGI in there. And yeah. as Shan said, it's the marriage of the two. That because not all effects should be CGI because then it looks fake. Yeah. You have pra- but if you have just practical effects, then it kind of looks a bit unamazing. Well, you, 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 you limit you have, yourself. Yeah. You, you you have the marriage of you have practical effects and then it's pumped up a bit with CGI and that because fire doesn't look like that. Yeah. Right, no, fair enough, right. But I will say, <laughs> though, Max Fury, well, even maybe, the colorization, that's technically some kind of CGI. Well, it's not really, but... Yeah, no, but, you know, what I, will say, though, what I will say, though, is that well, the, maybe it's about the comic book films where you have, like, you know, uh, people throwing each other off buildings and all that No, they stuff. do that. And I, oh, yeah, completely, yeah. Oh, oh, was, that, was that practical? That's homeless people oh, yeah. just like... Oh, yeah, completely. Jer- <laughs> Jeremy Renner but, um, technically died in the first uh, Avengers three times. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. He's, he's, he's back now. Oh, he bad. R.I.P. in pieces. Hulk showed it, and it was fine. What were you saying, mm. that? No, I'm just saying, you know, when you get used to like these Louis sort of Fregno comic- played the, the Hulk in the Avengers. <laughs> Let that man fucking speak. I'm, sorry. I'm just saying that, you know, when you see all these comic book films, like, you know, not me shitting on comic book films again, but it's like, you know, uh, th- there's people like throwing each other and it's all unrealistic and it's obviously all the time CGI. It is too much CGI. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you actually, you know, it's the sort of thing where you have the Hulk grabbing a fucking huge space alien against the ball. And I don't have any sense of scale. I mean, that's just nonsense to me. You know what I mean, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's spectacular and it's something that is very well done, very good to watch. But then whenever you look at something like Mad Max and you see like see those uh, what are they called polecats, yeah, and they're like bouncing and you're looking oh, and you're yeah. like, oh my god, that's actually they actually got people out that were actually yeah, professionals. The balls. amount of effort, the amount of money, and how good it looks, they see that. I think that makes a difference. I know no, there was CGI in a film, but come on, it does. But that's no, that's but exactly what we're saying. No, but. Damn, we're we're agreeing yeah, yeah. on the practical effects. That just I it just it just kind of cunts me off about that. People just go on like it's all practical effects. Like they, I didn't say that. I know, though. I know, I know. Oh, yeah. that, you see when they got like no. the foyers, like you know, oh, they pushed out his like guitar. No, but Dan, this is why right I'm saying this, this is why I apologize that why, one time. Dan, this is why I apologize for my rent before I went because well, you I, apologize I again, man. because I I know you're not saying that, but just in general, people but because. People just go on about practical effects is always the best thing. Yeah. And sometimes it isn't. Sometimes exactly, yeah. CG- Because there be- is, I mean, uh, even though practical mm. effects, you would say, and I personally would say that practical effects a lot of times are the best thing if you're doing kind of standard action. But CGA gives you an aura level that you I can mean, elevate it to. Of course, and that's yeah. why we're saying I mean, that. I think that what Dan's point was and what we should be excited about is if you see a film like Mad Max which is predominantly focused on practical effects, but then uses the modern technology of CJ to yes, enhance it, exactly. then hopefully that influences another generation of filmmakers to not be lazy bastards and just use all CJ, which if you've got a fucking... Well, sometimes it's budgetary. Yeah, I know that, but if you've got a mm. ton of... But I'm saying like for the proper blockbusters yeah. that have a ton of money and have just endless cash to throw at CJ and not bother about actually making it look real and do some practical effects... Hopefully that'll influence filmmakers to use practical well, you know, effects you know, you know, and CG. You know the town as well. As like I know, it's one of the first ever articles I read about it before it came out. Now it's one of my favorite films. I absolutely love it. Obviously. The town. It was like uh, it was Ben Affleck's first return mm-hmm. to direction, and people were sort of they were waiting to shit on it. To be honest, like you know, I remember reading Empire, and they were like, "Oh, what's Affleck up to? Whatever." And I said, in the very first shot, he spent like loads of money making this empty quarry look like Locked it's full down. of water. The river. And then everyone's like, "Oh." Oh, oh, you know, everyone's just like, oh, what a dick, oh, blah, blah, blah. But then, I, if you actually watch the film, that plays a big part of that quality yep. full of water. And as well, and you, as well you would not even realise nah, it was. And, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic film. Exactly. So, I mean, obviously, CGI 
has its place. It has to happen yeah. sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like going back to what Sham was saying is like maybe that'll inspire like more filmmakers to like indulge in practical effects with a bit of CGI. I mean, if you look at Guillermo del Toro, he's a big thing of practical effects, and also he's major in the CGI. If you watch Pacific Rim and other mm. things, but not major on the scripts or story though. I, or depth whatsoever right, but anyway, we're, anyway. Not, we're not talking about that we, we, we've, <laughs> hit it, we've hit it on Del Toro not pretty good Guillermo clean. Del Toro <laughs> oh snap that's very good um, <laughs> no but like even I, I mind hearing Charlie Day talk about being in Pacific Rim and if you're remembering uh, Pacific Rim specifically, <laughs> oh, specifically you, about uh, Pacific Rim uh, yeah. if you remember in Pacific Rim there is a specific scene of when uh, Charlie Day is looking for his glasses what a scene! The the the, the, whole <laughs> <laughs> the CGI reaching for the glasses. <laughs> no, but it's just mind mind fucking back in the nineties where you had the like mind a lot of words, the oh, yeah. hand coming out of the sky. It could <laughs> be you. There's your glass. But now we continue. <laughs> no, but he's he's looking for his glasses, and that whole scene is actually he's, his glasses are right on like right close up to the lens of the thing, so you're seeing it all through his glasses. But apparently they actually shoot that scene like Del Toro had a big massive pair of glasses made <laughs> so it could sit in front of the camera. That's pretty nonsense, yeah. actually. Yeah, no, but you see that better. that's that's cool. That's a cool practical thing. Is like, oh, they need to make like giant glasses to I make this effect. There's some crew member he has his glasses just sitting in the corner of his home. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah. uh, Dennis Vall gotta lend them. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, no one, no, no one's gonna one get that. Like, that joke. No one, no one's joke. gonna get that. <laughs> Okay, and we shall move into recommendations. I'll like, go first. Well, that's sort of like a Bob Marley impression. You know? <laughs> I know it's sort of like you know. Reggae. How is that Bob Marley? It's sort of reggae, isn't it? Like sort of like deep soul, black voice you had going on there. Reggae foundations. Oh, mama! Continue, Michael. I feel uncomfortable talking now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not always? Good point. Okay. <laughs> uh, my recommendation is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. Because uh like we've t- I think we've talked about it in the podcast before we all enjoy it, but I think it's the first time you really see Eggerite outside of Eggerite Sam Peg films. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm saying I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it it shows that he still has his very signature style, you know, the the cross. Whip pan pans. Whip pans. Thank you very much, Shanko. And uh, yeah, he still has his very signature style, but then he can delve deep into the bath that is the subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite proud of that. Pretty good look. But yeah, so like uh, he, he he goes with the whole video game aesthetic for Scott Pilgrim, and he really just nails it. And it is like watching a real life video game without with also being the ridiculousness of a video game, and it's just great stuff. And it's a very funny, good story and yeah. visually spectacular and i think that it, it actually didn't do great at the box office but it's just like it was michael Sarah fatigue yeah that's but, that's that's an old one as well it was rescued by dvd Sean Call. uh my recommendation is dilemma for murder 1954 alfred hitchcock it is about an ex-tennis pro played by the snubbling conniving canoodling ray Maland, and he wants the office wife grace kelly so he hires an old. He wouldn't. He wants. He wants. He wants to kill her. He wants. to kill Chris Kelly. So he hires an old. He hires an old. He hires an old college friend to uh, basically do the job from. 
doesn't quite work out. It turns out that Chris Kelly ends up fucking flipping on its head and killing him in the process of him trying to murder her. She and does the flippy flap. Oh, the flippy flap. I'll fucking flip you. Flip you for real, Raymond. But uh, then it's all about the cat and mouse between this detective who's investigating Raymond. What I love about uh, Dylan for Murder is that bar a couple of cutaway scenes it basically takes place in one room a living room of this kind of London townhouse uh, great performance by Ray Milland he's so snivelling and just conniving you just want him to get caught and he just does a great job of getting under your skin a great job as well of just portraying a liar who's starting to break under pressure from police interrogation because it almost was the perfect murder that he puts together and as well as Hitchcock cause, so obviously master of suspense also, you see, has we fat bake one or what? <laughs> no, actually, his cameo in that film is from a photograph back when he was in his Cambridge days, the third of the film. Oh. He says as well that in his more dramatic films. Yeah, he left it out, yeah. He, well, or he got it over early. No, he, did, he didn't leave it out because he, he was in every single one of his films. He got it out of the way early because he didn't mm. want to kind of. He didn't want people to be sitting in the audience waiting for him to pop up because it yeah. would have taken them out of the film. It's even vertigo, so I guess in a bus or something. Yeah, it's just in the background, yeah. yeah. Did he. Oh, sorry, were you done me? No, all it was was just that. It's a great cat and mouse, some great performances. Obviously, it's going to be suspenseful with Hitchcock, amazingly directed. And it's just it just shows what you can do, and it's something we've talked about before, like how much you can do with just a couple of characters in a room, but with a really strong set of characters on storyline. Did you ever see the remake set out in the country with a farmer? What was it called? Del Moo for murder. Oh, my <laughs> word, Michael. That's getting caught. I'm sorry, Paul. Damn, what did you? What's your recommendation? <laughs> oh, my word. Like, What's your recommendation? Worst, worst thing is I, I've been thinking of that since you started talking about <laughs> Del Imprimer. Oh, dear. Mind is an eternal sunshine on a spotless mind. Uh, uh. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely phenomenal film. Uh, Charlie Kaufman is one of my favorite screenwriters ever. I mean, maybe he's not as prolific as what I want him to be. but Loved him like, on Taxi. Oh, yeah. I'm so good in Taxi. No, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think it's a it's a first proper serious role. We saw Jim Carrey as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, well, apart from Man on the Moon, which was Andy Kaufman. Yeah, was Andy Kaufman. Was that before that? Yeah, it was yeah, like two thousand. Oh, yeah. That was like his first proper yeah. dramatic. That was fantastic though as well. I have to say, really yeah. yeah. No, I'm changing my recommendations. Man on the Moon. No, I'm <laughs> no, Eternal Sunshine. I mean, I absolutely love it. I mean, it's a Kaufman. Well, it is a coffin because there's so many things. Like I love all his work. I mean, we talked about Anomalisa a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of Synecdoche and the adaptation and everything. But he's number one, I think, is definitely Eternal Sunshine. Uh, there's just so much in it. I mean, obviously, I have Kate Winslet, who's obviously fantastic and everything. But it's sort of idea as well, where even if you're deleting the memory of someone that you want gone, they still chase after each other all the time. It's sort of yeah. I know it's, it's, it packs a very big emotional punch away. And plus, as well, this entire idea of like you know memory fading, and uh, there's so many scenes where they use very, very interesting techniques, as in a set that one stays a bedroom, and then the next shot it's like half filled with sand, and the next yeah. shot is on a beach. I think a lot and of like, that though is down to Michel Gondry. You know, obviously mm. Kaufman wrote, but Michel Gondry was a very kind of virtuoso director who's kind of 
falling off about since then. I mean, he was yeah, seen he did as the Green Hornet. Yeah, he, he was seen as a second coming. He done B came rewind as well, and he done mm. the Science of Sleep, which wasn't that great. Yeah, the B came rewind is not that good. Like no, as I'm saying though, director, no, 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 the director wise is very good, but yeah, actual narrative wise is not. Like Heron has talked about this, where the way it's presented isn't right. But B came rewind. Oh, I I enjoyed it as a film, but I thought it was a different film. I think it's, it's a different film than what people expect yeah. it to be. It's almost like Spring Breakers, like you were talking about it on. I think, and as well, like, no, but like, no, but I'm saying, <laughs> no, no, in the way, in the way I'm chatting, I said it's like Spring Breakers, like we we're talking about it on, and it's like marketing that we we're talking about it on. Yeah, it was marketed in the wrong way. So when people actually went to see it, like Spring Breakers, they didn't really know what the fuck they were watching because I think because it was Jack Black, it was presented as like a spoof, and it's these two boys, you know recreating fucking you know famous films but then when I actually got down to it it was actually more about them trying to save a community and it yeah. was actually about their love of that community and not one that they go yeah, away yeah. But, it but wasn't a gaffer I, it was I, just... but maybe because you find it unevenly paced is because it tries to have those kind of mm-hmm. big comedy moments with them recreating which doesn't quite work I'm... some of them do like the Ghostbusters one works I like that but anyway yeah. we're getting off topic Go ahead, your recommendation. Oh, no, this is a, about a Sunshine. I mean, there's so many, I mean, very, very smart scenes as well where, like, you know, he's traveling through his old memories and oh, he sort of realizes this, this fella is, like, hitting on his woman. But then, because he never saw his face, he tries to turn him around and he can't see it. There's so many wee things. I actually think you're right. It is Michelle Gondry who gets it exactly spot on. They have this idea of a complete alienation. But also as well, the, the subplot to that film with Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, absolutely fantastic I mean like you know it, but it always taps into the same thing that uh, he uh, talks about it, it's all about loneliness mm-hmm. it's about this sort of thing where even though people are trying to connect with you they're not the sort of people you want to connect with yeah. do you mean you know you have that sort of feeling within you and then these people who are unable to have a proper meaningful relationship are working on these people who probably do have a meaningful if troubled relationship I mean it's just such a lovely sentiment to think that these two people even though they're in the process of deleting each other from their memory, still both agree to meet each other in the same position because, yeah. and that's, I, I'm, I'm giving spoilers because fuck it, if you haven't seen it, and fuck you, you mean it, but it doesn't even, actually, <laughs> but it actually doesn't even spoil anything because the film's actually, the joy is in watching it, it's not even for knowing what happens, yeah. it just ends in that loop. That's just the idea about, they're just doomed to do it for the rest of the time. Yeah. Anyway, we'll wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you like getting in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies. Or you can email us, Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com. You can also leave us comments, reviews on iTunes, ACAST, and Stitcher Radio. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Shanko has been Shanko. Yeah. DK's been DK. Papa Bless. Episode 44, baby. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Congratulations. This, this podcast is so, like... It's all over the place, it's not. Like, there's just there's no direction there's, there's at all. So many, we start so talking about, like, CGI versus fucking real effects. And I'm like, so we're about half an hour. Should we talk about Spring Breakers? We talk about Tax Driver. From the <laughs> and Shame. Driver. Shame, Shame as well. Like, yeah. Oh, man. That's you want this, this, this is the end, but just Dan realising that this podcast is oh. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh it's man, like, th- this podcast actually has no fucking point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's alright. Uh, Max having a breakdown. <laughs> These last 44 <laughs> weeks have been a lie. <laughs>
Dan, I don't want to break thee, but see, for the last 44 weeks, we haven't even been recording. <laughs> <laughs> don't try that one again, you bastard. Mickey, Mickey, oh. Mickey, where do you think you are? I think I'm going for a piss. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 